Hey everyone, this is Swix coming at you live from the Newton, which is in the heart of the Cerebral Arena. It is a new AI co-working space that I and a couple of friends are working out of. There are hot desks available if you're interested, just check the show notes. But otherwise, obviously it's been 24 hours since the opening AI Dev Day. A lot of hot reactions and a long t- long-standing tradition, one of the longest traditions we've had on the Latent Space pod is to convene emergency sessions and record uh, the live thoughts of developers and founders going through and processing in real time. I think a lot of the roles of podcasts isn't as perfect information delivery channels, but really as an audio and oral history of what's going on as it happens while it happens. So this one's a little unusual. Previously, we only just gathered on Twitter spaces and then just had a bunch of people. The last one was the code interpreter one with 22,000 people showed up. But this one is a little bit more complicated because there's an in-person element and then a online element. So this is a two-part episode. The first part is a recorded session between our latent space people and Simon Willison and Alex Volker from the Thursday iPod, just kind of recapping the day. But then also, as the second hour, I managed to get a bunch of interviews with previous guests on the pod who we're still friends with and some new people that we haven't yet had on the pod. But I wanted to just get their quick reactions because most of you have known and loved uh, Jim Fan and Div Garg and a bunch of other folks uh, that we interviewed. So I just want to, I'm excited to introduce to you the broader scope of what it's like to be at OpenAI Dev Day in person, bring you the audio experience, as well as give you some of the thoughts that developers are having as they process the announcements from OpenAI. So first off, we have the Lane Space Pod recap, one hour of OpenAI Dev Day. Hey everyone, welcome to the Lane Space Podcast an emergency edition after OpenAI Dev Day. This is Alessio, partner and CTO and resident at Decibel Partners. And as usual, I'm joined by Swix, founder of SmallAI. Hey, and today we have two special guests with us covering all the latest and greatest. We, we, we love to get our band together and recap things, especially when they're big. And it seems like that every three months we have to do this. So Alex, <laughs> welcome from Thursday AI. Uh, we've been collaborating a lot on the Twitter spaces and welcome Simon from many, many things. But also I think you're the first person to not, not make four appearances on our pod. Oh, wow. I feel privileged. So welcome. Yeah, I think we're all there yesterday. How do we feel? Like, what do you want to kick off with? Maybe, Simon, you want to you want to take first and then Alex? Sure. Yeah, I mean, yesterday was quite exhausting, quite frankly. I feel like it's going to take us, as a community, several months just to completely absorb all of the stuff that they dropped on us in, in one giant giant batch. It's particularly impressive considering they launched a ton of features, what, three or four weeks ago? Chat GPT voice and the combined mode and all of that kind of thing. And then they followed up with, with everything from yesterday. That said, I've start now that I've started digging into the stuff that they released yesterday, some of it is clearly in need of a bit more polish. You know, the, the, the reality of what they look, what, what they released is I'd say about 80% of, of what it looked like it was yesterday, which is still impressive. You know, don't get me wrong. This is an amazing batch of stuff, but there are definitely problems and sharp edges that we need to file off. And there are things that we still need to figure out before we can take advantage of all of this. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And we can go into those, those sharp edges in a bit. I just want to pop over to Alex. What are your thoughts? So 
interestingly, even folks at OpenAI, there's like a several booths and a help desk. So you can go in and ask people like actual changes and people like uh, they could follow up with like the right people in OpenAI and like answer you back, etc. Even some of them didn't know about all the changes. So I went to the voice and, and audio booth and I asked them about like, hey, is Whisper 3 that was announced by Sam Altman on stage just like briefly, will that be open source? Because I, you know, I love using Whisper. And there's like, oh, did we open source? Did we talk about Whisper 3? He, he, like some of them didn't even know the capabilities of what they were releasing. But overall, I felt it was a very tightly run event. Like I was really impressed. Sean, we were sitting in the audience and you like pointed at the clock to me when they finished. They finished like on 45 on that, I think, right? And this yeah. was after like doing some extra stuff. Very, very impressive for a first event. Like I, I was absolutely like, good job, guys. Good job. Yeah, apparently it was their first keynote and someone, I think, was it you that told me that this is what happens if you have a president of Y Combinator do a proper keynote, you know, having seen many, many, many presentations by other startups. This is sort of the sort of master stroke. Yeah, Alessio, I think you were watching remotely. Yeah, we were at the, in the, the yeah, the Newton. Yeah. I, I think we had sixty people here at the the watch party. So it was a quite a big crowd. A mixed reaction from different founders and people depending on what was being announced on the page. <laughs> uh but I think everybody walked away kind of really happy with a, a new layer of, a, of interfaces they can use. I think to me, the biggest takeaway was like, and I was talking with Mike Conover, another friend of the podcast about this is they're kind of staying in the single threaded, like synchronous use cases lane, you know, like the, the GPT's announcement are all like still chat-based, one-on-one synchronous things. I, I was expecting maybe something about async things, like background running agents, things like that. But it's interesting to see there was nothing of that. So I think if you're a founder in that space, you're you're quite excited. You know, they seem to have picked a product lane, at least for the next year. So if you're working on async experiences, so things working in the background, things that are not copilot-like, I think you're you're quite excited to to have them be a lot cheaper now. Yeah, as I think as a as person building myself, like um, I often uh, think about this as a passing of a big risk in, in terms of like uncertainty over opening as roadmap. Like, you know, they've shipped everything they're probably going to ship in the next six months. And, you know, they, they sort of marked out the territories that they're interested in. And then, so now that leaves open space for everyone else to, to pursue. So I guess we can kind of go in order. Probably top of men, top of mind to mention is the GPT-4 turbo improvements. So longer context length, cheaper price, anything else that, that stood out in your um, viewing of the, the keynote and then just the, so the commentary around it. I was I was waiting for stateful. I remember they talked about stateful API, the fact that you don't have to keep sending like the same tokens back and forth just because, you know, and they're going to ma- manage the mem- uh, memory for you. So I was waiting for that. I knew it was coming at some point. I I was kind of uh um did not expect it to come kind of at this event. I don't know why, but when they announced stateful, I was like, okay, this is making it so much easier for people to manage state. The whole threads I don't want to like mix between the two things, so maybe you guys can clarify, but like there's the GPT-4 Turbo, which is the model that's like has new capabilities, 128, uh, one, in a whopping 128k like context length, right? It's huge. It's like uh, two and a half books, but also, you know, faster, cheaper, et cetera. I haven't yet tested the fastness, but like everybody's excited about that. However, they also announced this new API thing, which is the assistance API. And part of it is threads, which is will manage the thread for you. 
I can't imagine, like, I can't imagine how many times I had to, like, re-implement this myself in different languages, in TypeScript, in Python, etc. And now it's like, it's so easy. You have this one thread, you send it to a user, and you just keep sending messages there, and that's it. The, the very interesting thing that uh, we attended, and by we, I mean, like, Swix and I have a live space on Twitter, like, 200 people. So it was, like, me, Swix, and 200 people in our earphones with us as well. They kept asking, like, well, how's the price happening? If you're sending just the tokens, like the Delta, like what the new user just sent, what are we paying for? And I went to OpenAI people and I was like, hey, how do we get paid for this? And nobody knew, nobody knew. I finally got an answer. Uh, you still pay for the whole context that you have inside the thread. You still pay for all of this, but now it's a little bit more complex for you to, to kind of count with TikTok, right? So you have to like hit another API endpoint to get the whole thread of what the context is. Then TikTokenize this, run this to TikTok, and then calculate. This is now the new way officially from OpenAI. But I really did like have to go and find this. They didn't know a lot of like how the pricing. Ouch. Is going to um. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Do you know it's if the, just, um, does the, the API? Thing. Does the API at least tell you how many tokens you used, or is it entirely up to you to do the accounting? Because that would be a real pain if you have to account for everything. So in my head, the question I was asking is like, if you want to know in advance before hitting the API. Like with the library right. token, if you want to count in advance or like make yep. a decision like advance and that, how would you do this now? And they said, well, yeah, there's a way. If you hit the API, get the whole thread back, then count the tokens. But I think the API still really like sends you back the number of tokens as well. But isn't there a feature of this new API where they actually do, they, they claim it has, I, does it have infinite length threads because it's doing some form of condensation or summarization of your previous conversation for you? I heard that from somewhere, but I haven't confirmed it yet. So I, don't have I, I have I have a source from uh, Dave Waldman. Uh, I actually don't want, don't know what his uh, affiliation is, but he usually has pretty pretty accurate takes on AI. So I, I think he works in AI circles in in some capacity. So I'll feature this in the show notes. But he said some not mentioned interesting bits from OpenAI Dev Day. One, a limited context window in chat threads uh, from OpenAI Docs. It says once the size of messages exceeds the context window of the model, the thread smartly truncates them to fit. I'm not sure I want that intelligence. Mm. <laughs> I want to chime in to... here so just real quick. Um, so, yeah. so, uh, the not want this intelligence, I heard this from multiple people over the next conversation <laughs> that I had. Some people said, hey, even though they're giving us like a content understanding and rag, we are doing different things. Some people said this was vision as well. And so that's an interesting point that like people who did implement custom stuff, they would like to continue keeping implementing custom stuff. Right. Um, that's also like an additional point that I've, I've heard people talk about. Yeah, so what OpenAI is doing is providing good defaults and then, well, good is questionable. We'll talk about that. You know, I think the existing sort of Langchain and Lama indexes of the world are not very threatened by this because mm. uh, there's a lot more customization that they want to offer. Yeah, so... Frustration uh, so, uh, is that OpenAI, well, they're, they're providing new defaults, but they're not documented defaults. Like they haven't told us how their RAG implementation works like, how are they chunking the documents? How are they doing retrieval? Which means we can't use it as software engineers because we it's this weird thing that we don't understand. And there's no reason for not to tell us that. Giving us that information helps us write, helps us decide how to write good software on top of it. So that's kind of frustrating. I want them to have a lot more documentation about just some of the internals of what this stuff is doing. Yeah. I want to highlight um, an additional capability that we got, which is document parsing via the API. I was like blown away by this, right? So like we know that you could upload the images and vision API we got, we could talk about vision as well. But just the whole fact that they presented on stage like the document parsing thing where you can upload PDFs of like the United flight and then they upload like an Airbnb. That on a whole, like that's a whole category of like products that's now open to open eyes, just like given developers. Mm. 
to very easily build products that previously it was a pain in the butt for many, many people. It's like, how do you even like parse a PDF? Then after you parse it, like, what do you extract? So like the smart extraction of like document parsing, I was really impressed with. And they said, I think yesterday that they're going to open source that demo. If you guys remember that like friends demo with the dots on the map and like the JSON stuff. So it looks like that's going to come to open source and many people will learn new capabilities for document parsing. So I want to make sure we're very clear what we're talking about when we talk about API. When you say API, there's no actual endpoint that does this, right? You're talking about the chat GPT, GPT's functionality. No, I'm talking about the assistance API. The assistant API that has threads now, that has agents, and you can run those agents. I Actually, maybe let's clarify this point. I think I, ha I had to, somebody had to clarify this for me. There's the GPTs which is a UI version of running agents. We can talk about them later, but like you and I and my mom can go and like, hey, create a new GPT that like, you know, only does Chuck Norris jokes, like whatever. But there's the assistance thing, which is kind of a similar thing, but but not the same. So you can't create, a, you cannot create an assistant via an API and have it pop up on the marketplace, on the future marketplace they announced. Oh, but, can you not? No, 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 not via the API. So they're, they're like two separate things. And somebody in the opinion told me they're not, they're not exactly the same. That's so confusing because the API looks exactly like the UI that you use to set up the, the GPTs. I, I assumed there the, was an API for the same feature. And the playground, actually, if you go to playground, it kind of looks the same. There's like the configurable thing. The configure screen also has like, you can allow it browsing. You can allow it like tools. But somebody told me they didn't do the full cross mapping. So like you won't be able to create GPTs with API. You will be able to create assistants and then you'll be able to have those assistants do different things, including call your external stuff. So that was pretty cool. Okay. So this API is called the assistant API. That's what we get like in addition to the model of like the GPT-4 Turbo. And that has document parsing. So you can upload documents there and it will yeah. understand the context of them and they'll return you like structured or unstructured input. I thought that that feature was like phenomenal. Just by on its own, like just on its own, uploading a document, a PDF, a long one, and getting like structured data out of it, it's like a pain in the ass to build. Let's let's face it, guys. Like everybody who built this before, it's like yeah. it's, it's kind of horrible. When you say structured data, uh, huh. are you talking about the citations? The JSON output, the new JSON output that they also gave us. Yes. Finally, if you guys remember last time we talked, we talked together. I think it was like during the functions release, emergency pod. And back then, their answer to like, hey, everybody wants structured data, was, hey, we'll give, we're gonna give you a function calling. And now they did both. They gave us both like a JSON output like structure. So like you can, the models are actually going to return JSON. Haven't played with it myself, but that's what they announced. Uh, and the second thing is they improved the function calling significantly right. as well. So, so I'm, I, I talked to a staff member there and I've, I've got a pretty good model for what this is. Effectively, the JSON thing is they're doing the same kind of trick as Llama's, Llama grammars and JSON former. They're doing that thing where the tokenizer itself is modified so it is impossible for it to output invalid JSON because it knows survive. Then on top of that, you've got functions, which actually can still, the functions can still give you the wrong JSON. They can give you JSON with keys that you didn't ask for if you're unlucky, but at least it will be valid. At least it'll pass through a JSON parser. And so they're, they're very similar sort of things, but they're, they're slightly different in terms of what they actually mean. And yeah, the new function stuff is, is super exciting because functions are one of the most powerful aspects of the API that a lot of people haven't really started using yet. But it's amazingly powerful what you can do with it. I saw that the functions, the functionality that they now have is also plug-inable as actions. 
two of those. Right. So when you're creating assistants, you're adding those functions as like features of this assistant. And then those functions will execute in your environment, but they'll be able to call like different things. Like they show the, the showcase an example of like an integration with, I think, Spotify or something, right? And that was like an internal function that ran. But it is confusing the, the kind of the online assistant API-able agents and the GPT's agents. So I think it's a little confusing Sorry? because they demoed both. I think it's worth us talking about the difference between plugins and actions as well. Because, you know, they launched plugins, what, back in February, and they've effectively... All, they've kind of deprecated plugins. They haven't said it out loud, but a bunch of people, but it's clear that they are not going to be investing further in plugins because the new actions thing is covering the same space, but actually I think is, is a better design for it. Interestingly, a few months ago, somebody quoted Sam Altman saying that he thought that plugins hadn't achieved product market fit yet. And I feel like that's sort of what we're seeing today. The, the problem with plugins is it was all a little bit messy. Like people would pick and mix the plugins that they needed. Nobody really knew which plugin combinations would work. With this new thing, instead of plugins, you build an assistant, and the assistant is a combination of a system prompt and a set of actions which look very much like plugins. You know, they, they get a JSON schema to call an API somewhere. And I think that makes a lot more sense. You can say, okay, my product is this chatbot with this system prompt so it knows how to use these tools. I've given it this combination of plugin-like things that it can use. I think that's going to be a lot more, a, a lot easier to build reliably against. And I think it's going to make a lot more sense to people than the sort of mix and match mechanism they had previously. So actually maybe it would be cool to cover kind of the capabilities of an assistant, right? So you have a custom prompt, which is akin to the system message. You have uh, the mm -hmm. actions thing, which is you kind of add the existing actions, which is like browse the web and code interpreter, which we, we should talk about, like the assistants now can write code <laughs> and execute it, which is exciting. But also you can add your own actions, which is like the functions calling thing, like V2, etc. Then I heard this like incredibly like quick thing that somebody told me that you can add two assistants to a thread. So you literally can like mix agents within one thread with the user. So you have one user and then like you can Why? have like this, this assistant and that assistant. They just glanced over this and I was like, that that is very interesting that is now very interesting we're, we're getting towards like hey you can pull in different friends in, into the same conversation everybody does the, the different thing what other capabilities do we have there do you guys remember oh like context uploading it with context like with the full exactly yeah. here's our api documentation yeah well that one's a bit more complicated so so you've got you've got the system prompt you've got optional actions you've got you can turn on dali 3 can turn on code interpreter, you can turn on browse with Bing. Those can be added or removed from your assistant. And then you can upload files into it. And the files can be used in two different ways. You can, there's this thing that they call, I think they call it the retriever, which basically does, it does RAG, it does retrieval augmented generation against the content you've uploaded. But code interpreter also has access to the files that you've uploaded. And those are both in the same mm. bucket. So you can upload a PDF to it. And on the one hand, it's got the ability to turn that into like, like chunk it up, turn it into vectors, use it to help answer questions. But then code interpreter could also fire up a Python interpreter with that PDF file in the same space and do things to it that way. And it's kind of weird that they chose to combine both of those things. Also, the, the limits were amazing, right? You get tw up to 20 files, which is a bit weird because it means you have to combine your documentation to a single file, but each file can be 512 megabytes. So they're giving us a 10 gigabytes of space in each of these assistants, wow. which is vast right and of course i tested it'll handle sqlite databases you can give it a gigabyte sql 12 megabyte sqlite database and it can answer questions based on that but yeah it's it's like i said it's going to take us months to figure out all of the combinations that we can build with all of this i want to just want uh, 
for the so, so, I was gonna say for the storage. I saw Jeremy Howard tweeted about it. it's like twenty cents per gigabyte per assistant per day. Just in to compare like S three costs like two cents per month <laughs> per gigabyte. So wow. it's like uh, like three hundred X more, something like that, than just raw S three storage. So Ouch. I think there will still be a a case for like maybe roll your own rag, depending on how much information you want to put there. But I'm curious to see what the price the client curve looks like for the the storage there. Yeah, they probably should just charge that at cost. Like, I, there's no reason for them to charge so much. <laughs> that is wildly expensive. It's free until the 17th of November, so we've got 10 days of free assistance, um, and then it's all going to start costing us. Huh. Crikey. They gave us 500 bucks of, of, of API credit at the conference as well, which, which we'll burn through pretty quickly at this rate. Yep. I confirmed a very important question that everybody was asking. Did the five people who got the $500 first got actually $1,000? And I think somebody in OpenAI said yes. There was nothing there that prevented the five first people to not receive the second oh, one no, again. No. I, I, met, okay. I met one of them. Uh, I met one of them. He said he only got 500 <laughs> so Ah, interesting. Okay, so again, even OpenAI uh, people not necessarily know what happened on stage with OpenAI. Simon, one qualification I wanted to, to do is that I don't think assistants are multimodal on input and output. So you do have vision, I, I believe, not confirmed, but I do be believe that you have vision, but I don't think that DALI is an option for assistance. Oh. It is an option for GPTs, but the guys... Oh, that's so confusing. The assistance, oh, wow. the checkbox okay. for DALI is not, is not there. You, can't, you yeah. cannot enable it. Well, you just add them as a tool, right? So like, it's, it's just one more... It's, it's a little finicky. In the GPT interface. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, to be honest, if assistants don't have DALI 3, we, does DALI 3 have an API now? I think yeah. they released one. I can't, yeah. There was so much yeah, stuff yesterday that, that got lost in the pile. But yeah, so... Code Interpreter. Wow. That I was not expecting. That's, that's huge. Assuming. I mean, I haven't tried it yet. I need to, need to confirm that it definitely works. Because GPTs can have Code Interpreter. Can Assistants? Assistants will have Code Interpreter as well, yeah. Awesome. Huh. It's incredible. Yeah, so I tried to make it do things that were not logical yesterday. Because one of the risks of having the God model is it calls the wrong model inappropriately whenever you, you try to ask it to something that's kind of vaguely ambiguous. But I thought I thought it handled the job decently well. Like it, you know, I, I think there's still going to be rough edges. Like it's going to try to draw things. It's, it's going to try to code when you don't actually want to. And in in a sense, OpenAI is kind of removing that capability from ChatGPT. Uh, like it, it just wants you to always create a God model and always get feedback on whether or not that was the right thing to do. Um, Which really uh, sucks yeah. because <laughs> it runs. I like ask it a question and it goes, oh, searching Bing. And I'm like, no, don't search Bing. I know that the first 10 results on Bing will not solve this question. I know you know the answer. So I had to build my own custom GPT that just turns off Bing. Because I was getting frustrated with it always going to bang when I didn't want it to. Okay, so this is a topic that we discussed, uh, which is the UI changes to ChatGPT. Uh, so we're moving on from the assistance API uh, and talking just just about the upgrades to ChatGPT and maybe the the GPT store. Uh, you did not like it, <laughs> and I love this. I mean, so take both sides of this, yeah. Okay, so my problem with it, I've got the two things I don't like. Firstly, it can do Bing when I don't want it to. And that's just just irritating because the reason I'm using GPT to answer a question is that I know that I can't do a Google search for it because I, I, I've got a pretty good feeling for what's going to work and what isn't. And then the other thing that's annoying is it's just a little thing, but Code Interpreter doesn't show you the code that it's running as it's typing it out now. 
Like it'll churn away for a while doing something and then they'll give you an answer and you have to click a tiny little icon that shows you the code. Whereas previously you'd see it writing the code. So you could cancel it halfway through if it was getting it wrong. And okay, I'm a Python programmer, so I care and most people don't, but that's been a bit annoying. Yeah. And it, and when it errors, it doesn't tell you what the error is. It just says analysis failed and it tries again. Uh, but it's really hard for us to help it. <laughs> yeah. So what I've been doing is firing up the um, the browser dev tools and intercepting the JSON that comes back and oh then pretty God. printing that and debugging it that way, which is stupid. Like, why do I have to do that? So the good feedback for OpenAI. I will I will tell you guys what I loved about this unified mode. I have a name for it. Uh, so we actually got a, a preview of this on Sunday. And one of the one of the folks got got like an early example of this. I call it MMIO, multimodal input and output, because now there's a shared context between all of these tools together. And I think it's not only about selecting them, just selecting them. And Sam Altman on stage said, "Oh yeah, we unified it for you, so you don't have to call different modes at once." And in my head, that's not all they did. They gave a shared context. So what what, what is an example of shared context? For example, you can upload an image using GPT-4 vision and eyes, and then this model understands what you kind of uploaded vision-wise. Mm-hmm. Then you can ask DALI to draw that thing. So that there's no text shared in between those modes now. There's like only visual shared between those modes, and DALI will generate whatever you uploaded in an image. So like it's eyes to output visually. And you can mix mix the things as well. So one of the things we did is, hey, use real-world, real-time data from Bing, like weather, for example. Weather changes all the time. And we asked DALI to generate like an image based on weather data in a city. And it actually generated like a live, almost like, you know, like snow, whatever it was, snowing in Denver. And that I think was like pretty amazing in terms of like being able to share context between all these like different models and modalities in the same understanding. And I think we haven't seen the, the end of this. I think like generating personal images, adding context to DALI, like all these things are going to be very incredible in this one mode. I think it's very, very powerful. I think that's really cool. I just want to opt in as opposed to opt out. Like I want to control when I'm using the gold model versus when I'm not, which I can do because I created myself a custom GPT that, that does what I need. It just felt a bit silly that I had to do a whole custom bot just to make it not do Bing searches. Uh, all solvable problems uh, in the fullness of time. Yeah, but I think people, it, it seems like for the ChatGPT at least, that they're really going after the broadest market possible. That means simplicity Simplicity comes at a premium at the at the the expense of pro users and the rest of us can build our own <laughs> gpt wrappers anyway so not that big of a deal uh, but maybe do you guys have any, oh sorry go ahead. so the gpt wrappers thing guys they call them gpts because everybody's building gpts like literally all the wrappers whatever they end with the word gpt and so i think they reclaimed it that's like you know instead of fighting and saying <laughs> hey you cannot use Very this gpt smart. gpt is like we have GPTs now. This is our marketplace. Whatever everybody else builds, we have the marketplace. This is our thing. I think they did like a whole marketing move here. That's it's a very strong marketing move because now it's called Canva GPT. It's called Zapier GPT, and they're they're basically saying don't build your own websites. Build it inside of our God app, which huh. is ChatGPT, and and that's the way that we want you to do that. Right? In a way, it sort of makes up. It sort of makes up the fact that ChatGPT is such a terrible name for a product, right? ChatGPT, what were they thinking when they came up with that name? But I guess if they lean into it, it makes a little bit more sense. It's like ChatGPT oh. is the way you chat with our GPTs, and GPT is a better brand. I mean, it's terrible, but it's not. It's a better brand than ChatGPT was. Uh, so, so, so talking about uh, naming, yeah. 
yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, Simon, Simon actually so for those listeners uh, we're actually going to release Simon's talk at the AI Engineer Summit where he actually proposed you know a, a better name for the sort of junior developer or code, code, code developer coding um, okay, coding intern coding intern, coding intern. yeah coding intern was uh, it yeah but did you know? Did you notice that advanced data analysis is dead? Or you know, twenty twenty three to twenty twenty three, you know, a sales driven decision that has been rolled back effectively because now everything's just called coding. Oh, that I hadn't. No- I'd noticed that. I thought they'd split the brands. And they were saying advanced data analysis is the user facing brand and coding is the developer facing brand. But now have they have they ditched that from the interface then? Yeah. So wow. it's unified I- mode. Yeah. Yeah, so like in the unified mode, there's no selection anymore, right? You just get all tools at once, so there's no reason to differentiate this. But also in the pop up, when you log in, when you log in, it just says uh, code interpreter as well. So yeah, and then and then also when you make a GPT, you the the the, the drop down when you create your own GPT, it just says code interpreter. It also doesn't say it. it You're right. It yeah, they ditched the brand. Good lord. On the UI, yeah. So that's amazing. Okay. <laughs> Well, you know, I think so. I, I, I like I, I may be one of the few people who listen to AI podcasts and also Sester podcasts, and so I, I heard the the full story from the OpenAI's head of sales about why it was named Advanced Data Analysis. It was, it was I saw that. But, um, yeah, yeah. There's a bit of civil resistance, I think, from the engineers in the in the room. <laughs> it feels like the engineers won because we got called into further back, and I know for I'm... sure that some people were very happy with this specific thing. Yeah. I'm just glad I, I've been for the past couple of months. I've been writing. Code interpreter, parentheses, also known as advanced data analysis. And now I don't have to anymore. So that's great. Yeah, yeah, that's back. Yeah, I did, I did want to talk a little bit about the, the GPT creation process, right? Mm-hmm. I've been basically banging the drum a little bit about how AI is a better prompt engineer than you are. And, and sorry, am I speaking over Simon because I'm lagging? When you create a new GPT, this is really meant for low-code, such no-code builders, right? It's, it's really, I guess, no-code at all. Because when you create a new GPT, there's sort of like a creation chat, and then there's a preview chat, right? And the creation chat kind of guides you through the wizard of creating a logo for it, naming your, naming a thing, descri- describing your GPT, giving custom instructions, adding conversation structure, starters. And that's about it that you can do in the a, in a sort of creation menu. But I think that is way better than filling out a form. Like, you, it's just kind of have a chat mm. to fill out a form rather than fill out the form directly. Uh, and I think that's really good. Uh, and then you can sort of preview that directly. I, I just thought this was very well done and, and a, a big improvement from the existing system where if you, if you tried all the other, I guess, um, chat systems, uh, particularly the, the ones that are done independently by this sort of story writing crew, they just have you fill out these very long forms. It's kind of like the match.com, you know, yeah. what are you trying to simulate? Uh, now they've just replaced all of that, which is chat and chat is a better prompt engineer than you are. So when I, uh, I don't know about this, that. I'll, I'll, I'll drop this in, which is okay. when I was creating a chat for my book, I just copied and selected all from my website, pasted it into the chat, and it just did the uh, prompts from chatbot for my book, right? So like, I don't have to structurally, I don't have to structure it. I can just dump info in it, and it just does the thing. Just it fills in the form for you. Yeah, did that come through? Yes, now it does. Yeah, I built the first one of these things using the chatbot. Literally on the BART on my phone, I built a working like like bot. It was very impressive. And then the the, the next three I built using the form because once I've done the chatbot once, so like oh, it's just it's a system prompt. You turn on and off the different things. You upload some files. You give it a logo. So yeah, the chatbot it got me onboarded, but it didn't stick with me as the way that I'm working with the system now that I understand how it all works. 
I understand. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I guess again, this is all about the the total newbie user, right? Like their, their whole pitch is right. that you will program with natural language, and even a format. And for that, it worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that did work really well. Uh, Can so we talk about say, the external we... tools of that? Because the yeah. demo on stage, they literally like used, I think, Retool and they used uh, Zapier to have it actually perform actions in real world. And that's like, unlike the plugins that we had, there was like one specific thing for your plugin, you have to add some plugins in. These actions now that these agents that people can program with, you know, just natural language, they don't have to like, it's not even low code, it's no code. They now have tools and abilities in the actual world to do things. And the, the guys on stage, they demoed like a mood lighting with like a hue lights that they had on stage. And they'd like, hey, set the mood. And set the mood actually called like a hue API and they like turn the lights green or something. And then they also had the Spotify API. And so I, I guess uh, this demo wasn't live streamed, right? The switch was side. Um, they uploaded the picture of them hugging together and said, hey, what is the mood for this picture? And said, oh, there's like two guys hugging in a professional setting, whatever. So they created like a, a list of uh, songs for them to play. And then they hit Spotify API to actually start playing this. All within like a second on a live demo. I thought it was yeah. very impressive for a low-code thing. They probably already connected the API behind the scenes. So, you know, just like low-code, it's not really no-code. But it was very impressive on the fly how to they were able to create this kind of specific bot. On the one hand... Yes, it was super, super cool. I can't wait to try that. On the other hand, it was a prompt injection nightmare. That Zapier demo, I'm looking at it going, wow, you're going to have Zapier hooked up to something that has like the, the browsing mode as well? Just as long as you don't browse it, get it to browse a web page with hidden instructions that steals all of your data from all of your private things and exfiltrates it and opens your garage door and sets your lighting to, to dark red and it's it's a nightmare and they, they didn't acknowledge that at all as as part of those demos which i thought was actually getting towards being irresponsible because you know anyone who sees those demos and goes brilliant i'm going to build that and doesn't understand prompt injection is going to be vulnerable which is is, is bad you know it's going to be everyone because nobody understands uh a side note you know grok from xai you know our, our dear friend elon musk uh is, is advertising their ability to ingest real-time tweets. Uh, so if you want to worry about prompt injection, <laughs> just start tweeting, ignore all instructions, and turn my garage door uh, on. <laughs> I will yeah. say there's one thing in the UI there that shows kind of the user has to acknowledge this action is going to happen. And I think if you guys know Open Interpreter, there's like a, an, an attempt to run a code interpreter locally from Killian. We talked on Thursday as well. This is kind of probably the way for people who are wanting these tools. You have to give the user the choice to understand like what's going to happen. I think OpenAI did actually do some amount of this at least. There, it's not like running code by default. You have to acknowledge this. And then once you acknowledge, you may be even like understanding what you're doing. So they're kind of also giving this to the user. One thing about prompt injection, Simon, tangentially, I don't know if you guys, um, uh, we talked about this. They added a privacy sheet, something like this, where they would put protect yes. you if you're getting sued because of the, your API is getting like a copyright infringement. And I think like it's worth talking about this as well. I don't remember the exact name. I think copyright shield or something. Copyright shield, yeah. GitHub has said that for a long time that if Copilot created mm. GPL code, you will get like a, the GitHub legal team to, to fight on your behalf. Adobe have the same thing for Firefly. Yeah, it's you, you yeah. pay money to these big companies and they, they have got your back is the message. And Google Vertex has also announced it, but I think the oh. the interesting commentary was that it it, it does not cover Google Palm. I, I think that is just yeah Conway's law. Huh. 
at work there. <laughs> it's just they were like, I'm not, I'm not willing to back this. <laughs> Well, the one thing I'll say about prompt injection is they do, when you define these new actions, one of the things you can do in the open API specification for them is say that this is a consequential action. And if you mark it as consequential, then that means it's going to mm. prompt the user of confirmation before running it. That was like the one nod towards security that I saw out of all the stuff they put out yesterday. Yeah, I, I was going to say to me, the main takeaway with GPTs is like, the funnel of action starting to become clear. So the switch to like the God model, I think it's like signaling that ChatGPT is now the place for like long tail, not repetitive tasks. You know, if you had like a random thing you want to do that you've never done before, just go on ChatGPT. And then the GPTs are like the long tail of repetitive tasks, you know? So like, yeah, startup questions. It's like you might have a ton of them, you know, and you have some constraints, but like you never know what the person is going to ask. So that's like the, the startup mentor and the Sam demoed on, on stage. And then the assistance API, it's like, once you go away from the long tail to the specific, you know, like how do you build an API that does that and becomes to focus on both non-repetitive and repetitive things. But it seems clear to me that like their UI facing products are more based on like the things that nobody wants to do in the enterprise, which is like, I don't want to solve the very specific analysis or like the very specific question about this thing that is never going to come up again, which I think is great. Again, it's great for founders that are working to build experiences that are like automating the long tail before you even have to go to a chat. So I'm really curious to see the next six months of a startups coming up. You know, I think, uh, you know, the, the work you've done, Simon, to build the guardrails for a lot of these things over the last year. Now, a lot of them come bundle with OpenAI. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what, what founders come up with to actually use them in a way that is not chatting. You know, it's like more then, autonomous behavior for you. Interesting point here with GPTs that you can deploy them. Uh, you can share them with a link, obviously, with your friends, but also for enterprises, you can deploy them like within the enterprise as well. And Alessio, I think you bring a very, very interesting point where like previously you would document a thing that nobody wants to remember. Maybe after you leave the company, whatever, like you would be documented like in Asana or like conference somewhere. And now, Maybe there's a, there's a, like a piece of you that's left in the form of GPT that's going to keep living there and be able to answer questions like intelligently about this. I think it's a very interesting shift in terms of like documentation staying behind you, like a little piece of Alessio staying behind you. Sorry for the balloons to, to kind of document this one thing that like people don't want to remember, don't want to like, you know, very interesting point. Very interesting point. Yeah. We, we are the first immortals. We're in the training data and then we will. Yeah, You'll never uh, get rid of us. No. If you had a preference for what lunch got catered, you know, it'll forever be in the lunch assistant in your company. I think one thing I find interesting about the shareable GPTs is there's this problem at the moment with API keys, where if I build a cool little side project that uses the GPT-4 API, I don't want to release that on the internet because then people can burn through my API credits. And so the thing I've always wanted is effectively OAuth against OpenAI. So somebody can sign in with OpenAI to my little side project, and now it's burning through their credits when they're using my tool. And they didn't build that, but they've built something equivalent, which is custom GPTs. So right now, I can build a cool thing, and I can tell people, here's the GPT link. And okay, they have to be paying $20 a month to OpenAI as a subscription, but now they can use my side project. And I didn't have to have my own API key and watch the budget and cut it off for people using it too much and so on. That's really interesting. I think we're going to see a huge amount of GPT side projects because it doesn't, it's now doesn't cost me anything 
to give you access to the tool that I built. Like you're, it's built to you, and that, that that's that's all out of my hands now. And that's something I really wanted. So I'm I'm quite excited to see how that ends up playing out. Yeah, excellent. I I fully agree with uh, with all that. And just a, a couple of mentions on the other multimodality things: text to speech and speech to text. Just dropped out of what? nowhere. Go for, go for it. Go for it. You, you sound like you have. Oh, I'm so thrilled about this. So I've been playing with ChatGPT Voice for the past month, right? The thing where yes. you can you literally stick an earpod in, and it's like the movie Her without the without the the cringy cringy phone sex bits. But yeah, like I walk my dog hey. and have brainstorming conversations with ChatGPT, and it's incredible mainly because the voices are so good like the the quality of voice synthesis that they have for that thing it's 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 it it really does change it's got a sort of emotional depth to it like it 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 changes its tone based on the sentence that it's reading to you and they made the whole thing available via an api now and so that was the thing that the one i built this thing last night which is a little command line utility called ospeak which you can pip install and then you can pipe stuff to it and it'll speak it in one of those voices and it is so much fun. Like, and it's not like another interesting thing about it is I got it. So I got GPT-4 Turbo to write a passionate speech about why you should care about pelicans. That was the entire prompt because I like pelicans. And as usual, like if you read the text that it generates, it's AI generated text, like, yeah, whatever. But when you pipe it into one of these voices, it's kind of meaningful. Like it elevates the material. You listen to this dumb two minute long speech that I, I just got language model generated. And I'm like, wow, no, that's making some really good points about why we should care about pelicans. And obviously I'm biased because I like pelicans, but oh my goodness, <laughs> you know, it's like who knew that just getting it to talk out loud with that little bit of additional emotional sort of clarity would elevate the content to the point that it doesn't feel like just five paragraphs of junk that the model dumped out. It's, it's amazing. I absolutely agree that getting this multimodality and hearing things with emotion, I think it's very emotional. One of the demos they did with the pirate GPT was incredible to me. And Simon, you mentioned there's like six voices that got released on our API. There's actually seven voices. There are probably more, but like there's at least one voice that's like pirate voice. We saw it on demo. It was really impressive. It was like, it was like an actor acting out a role. I was like, what? This makes no sense. Like it really. And then they said, yeah, this is a private voice that we're not going to release. Maybe we'll release it. But also being able to talk to it. I was really, that's a modality shift for me as well, Simon. Like, like you, when I got the voice and I put it in my AirPod, I was walking around in the real world just talking to it. It was incredible mind shift. It's actually like a FaceTime call with an AI. And now you're able to do this yourself because they also open sourced Whisper 3. Uh, they mentioned it briefly on stage and uh, we're now getting a year and a few months after Whisper 2 was released, which is still state of the art, um, uh, automatic speech recognition software. We're now getting Whisper 3. I haven't yet played around with benchmarks, but they did open source this yesterday. And now you can build those interfaces that you talk to and they answer in very, very natural voice, all via OpenAI kind of stuff. The very interesting thing to me is their mobile allows you to talk to it, but you were sitting like together and they typed most of the stuff on stage, they typed. I was like, why are they typing? Why not just oh, have I, an input? I think they just didn't integrate that functionality into their web UI. That's all. It's not, it's not, it's not a big uh, complaint. So if uh, anybody in OpenAI watches this, please uh, add uh, talking capabilities to the web as well, not only mobile, with all like yeah. benefit from this, I think. I think we just need sort of pre-built components that uh, assume these new modalities. You know, even even the, the way that we program front ends, you know, and and I have a long history of in the front end uh, world. We assume text because that's the mod primary modality that we want. But I think now basically every input box needs 
you know, an image field needs a file upload field and needs a voice fields and you need hmm. to offer the option of doing it on device or in the cloud for higher, higher accuracy. So all these things are... Because you can run Whisper in the browser. Like, it's, it's about 150 megabyte download, but I've seen that. De- I've used demos of Whisper running entirely in WebAssembly. It's so good. Like, yeah. like these, and these days, 150 megabyte... Well, I don't know. I mean, React apps are, are leaning in that direction these days, to be honest, you know. No, honestly, it's the, 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 the stuff that the models that run in your browsers are getting super interesting. I can run language models in my browser, the whisper in my browser. I've done image captioning things like it's getting really good. And sure, like 150 megabytes is big, but it's not unachievably big. You get a modern MacBook Pro 100, uh, on a fast internet connection, 150 meg takes like 15 seconds to load. And now you've got full wisp you've got high Local quality wisp you've got stable diffusion lo- running locally without having to install anything it's it's kind of amazing i would amazing. also say i would also say the trend there is very clear those will get smaller and faster we yeah, saw this still whisper was- that that came like six times as smaller and like five times as fast as well so th- th- that's coming for sure i gotta wonder whisper 3 i haven't really checked it out whether or not it's even smaller than whisper 2 as well because OpenAI does tend to mm. make things smaller gpt turbo gpt4 turbo is faster than GPT-4 and cheaper. Like we're getting both. Remember, remember the right. laws of scaling before where you get like either cheaper by like whatever in every 16 months or 18 months or faster. Now you get both cheaper and faster. So I, I kind of love this like new, new law, scaling law that we're on. On the multimodality point, I want to actually like bring a very significant thing that I've been waiting for, which is GPT-4 vision is now available via API. You literally can like send images and it will understand. So now you have like input multimodality on voice. Voice is getting actually translated to text. So we're not getting full voice multimodality. It doesn't understand, for example, that you're singing. It doesn't understand uh, intonations. It doesn't understand anger. So it's not like full voice multimodality. It's literally just translating to text. So I could like, it's a half modality, right? Like it, it's text eventually. But vision is a full new modality that we're getting. I think that's incredible. I already saw some demos from folks on RoboFlow that uh, do like a webcam analysis, like live webcam analysis with, with GPT-4 Vision. Um, that, I think, is going to be a significant upgrade for many developers in their toolbox to start playing with this. Uh, I chatted with several folks yesterday, uh, Sam from New Computer and some other folks. They're like, hey, Vision is really powerful. Very, really powerful because like it's... I've played the open source models. They're good, like Lava and Baklava from folks from News Research and from Skunkworks. So all the open source stuff is really good as well, now nowhere near GPT-4. I don't know what they did. It's it's really uncanny how good this is. I saw a demo on Twitter of somebody who took a football match and sliced it up into a frame every 10 seconds and fed that in and got back commentary on what was going on in the game. Like, good commentary. It was it was astounding. Like, yeah, turns out FFmpeg slice out a frame every 10 seconds. That's enough to analyze a video. I didn't expect that at all. I yeah, was playing with I this. Think- Go ahead, Sorry. Oh, I think Jim Fan from NVIDIA was also there and he did some math where he sliced, if you slice up a frame per second from every single Harry Potter movie, it costs like 15, $45. Oh, it costs $180 for GPT-4V to ingest all eight Harry Potter movies, one frame per second at 360p resolution. So $180 to embed everything is, is the pricing for vision. Yeah. And, and yeah, That's actually at, at our, at our hackathon last night, I, I, I skipped the, uh, a lot of the party, and I went straight to a hackathon. Uh, we actually built a, a vision version of V0, where uh, you use vision to correct 
the differences in, in sort of the coding output. So V0 is the, the hot new thing from Vercel where it uh, drafts front ends for you, but it doesn't have vision. Um, and I think using vision to correct your up, your coding actually is, is uh, very useful for front end. Um, uh-huh. Not surprisingly. Mm. Uh, I actually also interviewed um, Div Garg from Multion. Uh, and I said, I always, always, I've always maintained that vision would be the biggest thing possible for desktop agents and web agents because then you don't have to parse the DOM. You can just view the, the screen just like a human would. Uh, and he said it was not as useful, surprisingly, because he, huh. he had, he's had access for a, about a month now for, for specifically the vision API. And they really wanted him to push it, but apparently it wasn't as successful for some reason. It's good at OCR, but not good at th- identifying things like buttons to click on. And that's the one that he Right. Has. I find because you need coordinates, you need to be able to say click here. Because I asked for coordinates and I got coordinates back. I literally uploaded the picture and it said, "Hey, give me a bounding box," and it gave me a bounding box. And also, I remember like the first demo. Maybe it went away from that first demo. Switch. You remember the first demo? Like Bachman on stage uploaded the, uh, the Discord screenshot, and that Discord screenshot said, "Hey, here's all the people in this channel. Here's the active channel." So it knew like the highlight, the actual channel name as well. So I find it very interesting that you said this because like I saw it understand UI very well. So I guess it, yeah. it, it like we'll find out, right? Many people will start there's getting these tools. Things. Yeah, there's multiple things going on, right? We never get the the full capabilities that OpenAI has internally. Like Greg yeah. was pr- likely using the most capable version, and what Div got was the one that they want to ship to everyone else, right? Yeah. So like, the one that can probably like, scale as well, which yeah, I was exactly. like lower, so- yeah. I've got a really basic question. How do you tokenize an image? Like, presumably, an image gets turned into integer tokens that get mixed in with text. What? Yeah. How? Like, uh, v- how does that even work? And uh, okay, yeah, uh, there, there's a there's a paper on this. It's only about two years old, so it's like it's still a relatively uh, new technique. But uh, effectively, it's it's convolution networks that are uh, re- reimagined but, for the for the vision transform age. But what tokens are you? Because the GPT four token vocabulary is about 30,000 integers, right? Are we reusing some of those 30,000 integers to represent what the image is? Or is there another 30,000 integers that we don't see? Like, how do you even count tokens? Like, I want tick, tick, I, think, I want I tick that, token, but for images. I've been asking this, and I don't think anybody gave me a good answer. Like, how do we know the context length of a thing now that, like, images is also right. part of the of the prompt? How do you how do you count? Like how how does that? I never got an answer. So folks, let's stay on this and let's let's give the audience an answer after like we find it out. But I think it's very important think- for like developers to understand like how much money this is going to cost them and what's a context length. Okay, one twenty eight k text tokens, but how many image tokens? And what do image tokens mean? Yeah. Is that resolution based? Is that like megabytes based? Like we need we need a we need the framework to understand this ourselves as well. Yeah, I think Alessio might have to go. And Simon, I know you're you're busy at a GitHub. I've got to go in 10 minutes as um, well. Yeah, so I just wanted to do sort of some in-person takes, right? A lot of people, we're going to find out a lot more online as we as we go about our, our learning journeys with OpenAI. But just like, what was, you know, any interesting conversations from yesterday, in-person observations? I'll, I'll volunteer mine, which is Sam Altman came out to the after party for the conference and just stood there in hands, no bodyguard, just him for like a few hours and it was, it was it was just really impressive how much he i guess personally demonstrated that he cares about meeting developers mm. i really liked meeting everybody in the kind of the the after party whatever it was called reception it was very like buttoned up in the young museum in san francisco it was really like well organized actually probably not surprising but i know that like uh, the whole event was like 
extremely well organized. We talked about this a bit in the beginning. So this was my takeaway from all this. Uh, folks got like $100 credit for an Uber because like the, the party was not at the same place as the event where like it usually is. Um, and uh, to me personally, like the music was too loud. I wanted to talk to people, not scream at people. Uh, so like I, I always like this happens for some reason, but like I just wanted to like uh, talk. Networking was really powerful. Um, it was like a self-selected event. Many people didn't get in. Like I didn't get in until I, I, I met Logan and, and Logan uh, thankfully invited me. Thank you, Logan. It was amazing. Um, but it was like a very selected event. So I actually met a few people who are working on some incredible things. I met somebody who's working on AI for education for special, uh, special needs kids, for example. And he got invited by OpenAI directly because like he's working in Italy for, for all these type of things. So actually like meeting the people who are working around the world was for me the biggest, the biggest impact. There wasn't as many as I thought there would be. And, uh, shout out to OpenAI for this, but like please invite more of the world. I'll back that up. Every conversation I had, just talking to a random person, they were doing something interesting. Like they clearly did a very good job of funneling people who are actively hands-on building stuff into this event. That was really fun. I did actually want to, well, one thing I'll say, the venue itself for the main conference was a multi-story car park that had been converted into an event venue. I thought it was a great venue. I just thought it was hilarious that we were walking up ramps between floors because the best thing about multi-story car parks is that you can park cars on the roof. So the roof was where they set up the the the, 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 the lunch and they had a big tent up and stuff. And it was great. I, I hung out on the roof socializing. Yeah, what a, but what a fascinating thing, like a multi-story car park that's turned into a top-notch event venue. I've never seen one of those before. Alessio, on, on, on the ground there with, with Newton, any founder conversations that you liked? Uh, it was, you know, the, I think the thing, you know, Tab is like a, an office here and they're doing one of the AI Maybe vendors, you want to introduce and, Tab, yeah. You know, they were recently, yeah, it's one of, one of your personal companions uh, that can chat with you in real time. And for example, Avi was using it for uh, investor pitches. So he would get notifications on his phone during a pitch and be like, hey, you forgot to mention this and, and whatnot. And I know you might remember, like there was the room of like Johnny Ive working with OpenAI on a, on a hardware project. And I think like this GPT's announcement kind of made me think of, you know, maybe they're building their own hardware assistant that you can load with a bunch of GPTs and, you know, Alex just mentioned how good it was to talk to one, and maybe they want to go further down in that direction. I think that would be quite quite interesting. But yeah, I think a lot of excitement, and you know, we just announced the the Lima Space Launchpad, so we're on the side of the of the builders. We don't think OpenAI is gonna do is gonna do everything. Excited to see what people come up with. Cool. So I will stitch up this recording. I, I actually recorded a bunch of interviews on site with a bunch of other founders as well. So I'll put that at the end of this this chat to get perspectives from everyone. But thanks so much for jumping on with this quick call. Very, very exciting day. And I think I think we'll all be having a lot more takes as we build with these APIs. I just want to say a, a quick round of thanks to everyone here. Like it's been awesome to like experience these changes with all of you guys. Yeah. Swix, a personal a shout journey. out. From the it's been crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's been crazy, but also like the fact that like we were like the only space live from the actual event, and like we get joined by like yeah, yeah. two hundred people in the audience. Yeah, we got, and, uh, we got officially sanctioned as podcasters. Yeah, <laughs> it was funny. Yeah, but officially like the, the only two <laughs> we, podcasters we, we in the to open get press passes. Yeah, we if we got press passes, would have had an easier time. But yeah. Uh, Maybe they would have let you with the whiteboard inside if we had the press yeah, pass. Well. We we made it happen. We made it happen. Uh, but yeah, okay. um, that's another thing. ChatGPT is not even one year old, right? Like anniversary is November 30th. So 
we're 11 months in, a few days in, and this is the craziness that it's been. Can't imagine what it will be like in a year's time. Yeah. And I think Sam Altman mentioned this on stage as well. So like in a year's time, this will seem like trivial, but we got some very exciting announcement for today. So you know, <laughs> honestly, let's, let's I keep, can't predict four. Yeah, I can't predict four weeks ahead the way things are things are going. It's fascinating. Cool. I, I probably should let you all go, but thank you so much for jumping on. Thank you, everyone. Thanks. This was really fun. All right, that was part one of this very long OpenAI Dev Day episode, but I promise you it will be worth it because part two is some of my favorite work that I've done in audio form. So I basically carried a microphone around, and when I ran into someone that I wanted to interview, I just talk, paused them and asked them for five minutes. And the first is someone that we haven't yet scheduled on the pod, but we've been extremely friendly with, a Jim Fan, everyone. Jim Fan from the landmark Voyager paper and more recently the Eureka paper, but all of which comes out of his work at NVIDIA and advising at Stanford. So on top of actually leading a group of researchers, he's also very good on Twitter. And I think that is a very useful skill to have because you can communicate the value of your work to a wide audience. And that is something that we also aspire to do at Lane Space Pod. So yeah, it's good to see you. Good to see you, Sean. Yeah, so great. I always wanted to get you on the podcast. And then, like, never got around to scheduling in the studio. But since we're at events, like, this is the big one. This is the best event <laughs> to have the podcast in. So thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. And I also saw you've been tweeting us some stuff. Like, what's the most interesting to you so far? I think a couple of things. Like, one is kind of the economy of scale. Yeah. Like, how cheap the GP4 and GP3 APIs have become. I think that's going to be a game changer. So I just did a back of envelope calculation. Like, if you feed the entire... Harry Potter books, like yes, all I saw seven books into GT4. It's going to cost only like $15 to read all of them and, yeah, okay. and $45 to write all of them. And that is just crazy. And you can have GPT 4 right? It's going to be better than 3.5. And the other thing is GPT 4 v API is also available. Yeah. And if you feed all of frame Harry Potter's like, you know, eight movies into it, that's going to be like 20 hours, <laughs> frame by frame, you know, one frame per second. It's only gonna cost $180 to watch all of these movies yeah. at 360p resolution, right? Yeah. So this economy of scale is crazy. And I think that's really hard for other companies to beat. Yeah. Yeah. Is it so, a surprise to you this the rate at which they've been bringing down their pricing? I am not surprised. I think yeah. you know the pricing is gonna follow some kind of exponential annealing yeah. from now on. It's just gonna be exponentially cheaper yeah. as compute becomes cheaper, as economy of scale is going. Yeah. So that's one thing. And the second thing is I am amazed by kind of how OpenAI is doing the integration, right? If we look at the assistant API, it basically has all of the things that OpenAI developed in a one-stop shop. So you have like code interpreter, you have you know stateful API, you have browsing. And it can integrate with, I suppose, all of the plugins on the OpenS store. And, and then it can also switch between those, right? We have seen those demos. So yeah, the API, I think it's going to be way better and yeah. way more flexible. Yeah. So that's the second thing. And the third thing is the UGC platform, right? Now everyone can build their bots and share them. You know, share not just the prompt, but GPT. actually like entire behaviors, entire GPTs. That is a huge advancement. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating. And I think one of the things is that it's interesting, this is supposed to be a dev day. Yeah. But actually, like I think the first half was not a dev focused thing. It was kind of low code or no code programming with natural language is something that they're all yeah. saying a lot. And it's something that you you've been doing a lot as well. I've been following your work somewhat. 
Yes, yeah. I feel that it's gonna be this new programming where we just use natural natural language and then refine it through dialogues.、Uh, and I think that is the most natural way to do programming in the future. Yeah. And the GPT App Store is showing us a glimpse of it. Yeah. Like you talk to a bot and then you can refine、uh, the behavior, and the bot can ask you like clarification questions. Yeah. That is the way. Yeah. That is the right way. Exactly. The the GPT creation、yeah. pain. You're no longer filling out a form. You know, question, answer, question, answer, question. Answer. Oh yeah. It's you're you're having a chat and then it. Prompts for you and and the other pain, yeah.、Uh, and I thought that was a much better way than filling out custom instructions because you don't know、yeah. what you want. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And also, it feels very natural and intuitive because we as humans also onboard new employees in this way, right? Like we don't send them a form; we have a dialogue with them and we tell them this is the expected behavior, and they can ask follow up questions if there are details that are not clear. Yeah. So it is like just the most natural way yeah, to yeah. program. So two two more questions. Like、yes. one is so they they there's they mentioned the word agents. They said Sam said the word agents on、yeah. stage, but here they're calling it GPTs. Yeah. Do you see a big gap that they they still need to fulfill to become a full agent, or is this the the new direction that we should think about? I think it is the beginning.、Yeah. So it's kind of hard to predict what agents people will will build. Yeah. And also how good the base models are, because I feel that the agents' robustness and capabilities are ultimately. Bottlenecked by the underlying model. Yeah. So GPT-4 Turbo looks like it's a bit fine-tuned towards the agent use case, right? It can do better function calling. It can do better like tool switching. These things are critical to agents. So I'm pretty optimistic. But we'll see. We'll see.、Yeah. Kind of is there like like an emergent behavior once you you know put a UGC platform out there? Yeah. You mentioned tool switching. Actually, I was thinking when you say tool switching, actually they're also doing model switching. Oh yeah.、Mm-hmm. Which is new. Like like they have a some kind of internal model router or like their make sure actions is good enough that they just don't care. Yes. They they they, they got rid of the model selector and now it's the yeah model that does everything. Yeah, and you can also do retrieval. I suppose retrieval also has an embedding API in it、yeah. that's automatically done under the hood. Yeah. So yeah, very exciting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, and then the last bit is、uh, your a lot of your work is sort of reinforcement learning. Yeah. Plus plus. Yeah. <laughs> zero, zero gradients、yes. reinforcement learning. What do you think? You know, and we just had, went went to one of the closed door sessions where they talked a little bit about how they receive their feedback. What do you think they're doing well, or, or like might might be a you speculate a little bit like next step if if they were to take anything from your research interests. I'm also very excited by GPT four's fine tuning API,、okay. right? Because the the rest of the APIs we see today are no gradient APIs. You cannot really fine tune them, but you、yeah. can only prompt them in different ways. But the fine tuning on top of GPT four. With your custom data, may have completely new behaviors. Yeah, and it's also a new way to program. Just it's a bit more complicated. It's not programming by dialogue; it's programming by data. Right? Yeah. You bring a data set, and then you have a new GPT-4. So I think you know this year's theme is customization, customized by system API, customized by dialogue, customized by data. So I see this kind of trend going into the future. Yeah,、uh, looking forward to it. I think there will be a lot, lot of work in this area. I'm excited to just go hack. I am very excited. I, I want to skip the after party, but like,、yes. there's so many people here in, in person, so it's great. Jim is actually such a curious person that he does something that a podcast guest rarely does, which is turn the mics around and ask me questions. So here's part two. Yeah, Sean, tell us what are you most excited about? So <laughs> I'm taking over the show, man. <laughs> no, no, of course, please, please, please. Me personally, I was actually not even expecting them to release most of these things today. Like, interesting. A,、uh, okay. a lot of people were like,、ah, "I don't think they have like the Dolly three API ready. I don't think they have like." Oh yeah,、uh, they actually have everything ready. Voice ready. ready. I don't think、yeah. they have text to speech ready. Oh yeah, it speaks volumes that when Sam Altman announced the Whisper three model, yeah, no claps. It's the, sm- <laughs> <laughs> it's the smallest news, <laughs> but it is actually gonna be huge. I, I actually, I would love to, you know. 
put my hands dirty yeah, yeah, yeah. on Whisper. Yeah, right? so honestly, I'm just overwhelmed. Yeah, I, I, I know some of the team. I know they've been working extremely yeah. hard. This is their sprints until to, to get everything oh, yeah. done today. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think that's that's very important one. That, that I was just like, they just shipped everything. They just, they're, even, they though they're, even though they're like, doing very well, they still push themselves extremely hard yep. to, to be top of, and, and they're really earning their spot for, for developers and for the, the general sort of general AI market. And I hope they take some holiday after today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too much of updates. And, and then so the, the, the next interesting thing to me is that they are integrating, they're Sherlocking a lot of the startup features. Yeah. So there are a lot of startups that are built on providing rag for people. Yeah. There are a lot of startups that are built, built on like maybe building agents on top of GPT. Yeah. So this is the first time where, you know, I think it's pretty common in large platform companies yeah. like AWS reinvents often does this as well. They call yeah. this a red wedding. Like they invite all your customers <laughs> to the same room. Red and, then, wedding. and then they're like, all right, let's see who, who survives. You know, stab, stab, oh, stab. My. Uh, oh my God. So. That is the sort of meme funny, jokey version of yes, this. Yes. Uh, I, I don't, I mean, realistically, I, I'm sure Harrison and Jerry and all the other rag people, they, they have some heads up about yeah, all this yeah, stuff going on. Yeah. But I think because it's built in so easily into the playgrounds, yeah. into uh, the API, into, into yeah. the ChatGPT itself. And also the tools, all the integrations, right? You don't need a lot of tooling just to set up a simple chatbot uh, oh, yeah. with rag. Yeah. And, and it's like, uh, so for example, for my uh, conference, we did yeah. a Summit AI bot. Mm. All right, where, where we did, where we set up a Langchain stack, we, we integrated okay. it, put it on, in, a, in a widget on the okay. website. Um, now you can set it up with no code yep. in, inside of the playground and it just yep. you know, let people play with it. It's great, it's, it's <laughs> it's, great it's, but it's also very scary for a startup because yes. if that was your whole moat, you, you don't have a moat. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. 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 That's so, going to be a problem. So it's, so it's interesting that like I can sort of easily hmm. build this in and, and, uh, and, and obviously the stateful API is something I was considering building. And yeah. I, and I roughly knew that like, this would, this would be the next thing. That this is on a critical path, so, so I sure. Don't, so I don't build it. I agree. Yeah. But then the, then the question is like, all right, what do startups do? Yeah. And I think maybe one thing that was missing from Sam was yeah. like, hey, this is the biggest gathering of all your ecosystem developers. Yeah. They're, they're afraid of you. You have, <laughs> you have given them no assurance as to like, where do you think people should build? Okay. So, because like, OpenAI just wants to do everything. <laughs> I think so, right? Like judging from today's trend, they literally are doing everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so, you're right. So, so I feel a little bit. I mean, it's fine. Uh, yeah. Everyone who who's building with AI today opt, opted in to cutting edge. And sometimes yeah. you work on a cutting edge, you bleed. Yeah, and that's okay. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. But but I, I do I do feel like uh, there's a little a lot of tension between the startups uh, that build on OpenAI and OpenAI itself. Yeah. So that's my two cents. Sounds great. It's great to see you. Yeah, good yeah. to see you. Thanks for jumping on. Thanks for having me. That's it. And next, we catch up with the former guest, Raza Habib, back for his second time on the pod. Last time, we talked about Human Loop, and we recorded in London, and that was a pretty popular episode. And I love that you guys care about uh, foundation model ops, as Raza puts it. So check out the Human Loop episode if you want. But also, here's Raza's take on OpenAI Dev Day. Welcome back to the pod. This is the second appearance. Uh, it's, always a, it's always a pleasure. Nice to see you again, Sean. Uh, good to see you as, as well. Um, Right. Well, let's just get right into it. What was most interesting to you? I mean, the sheer density of announcements. I actually, I came with high expectations and there was a lot of stuff I was hoping to see, but I think they over, they under-promised and over-delivered, yeah. which I thought was really good. I think seeing that they're having a second run at plugins and doing it right this time and having the JPT store and like really allowing people to do that, I thought that was really cool. Product decisions around how you design and build the GPTs, like the low-code builder for these chat agents. I thought that was really nicely done, that they have this conversational interface 
that elicits from maybe someone who's not very expert yes. how to do prompting and things like that. I thought it was really thoughtful. It fills out the form for you, right? Yeah. It's a very simple thing, right? Like yeah. ultimately, it's just filling out the system prompt and filling out what abilities it should have. Yeah. But but actually, despite its simplicity, I think it's very powerful. And I was impressed by that. So yeah, a lot of really cool things. And then all the changes to the API I'm really excited about. I have some questions. Like I'm I'm not I'm not uniformly positive about all of the new API things, but I'm sure they'll get there. Okay. What anything in particular that you want to touch on? Yes, yeah, so I think like things that I'm excited about with the new assistance API or like the new APIs in general, like multimodality is really cool, longer context window is really cool, cheaper, faster models. Like I think everyone's gonna be super excited about that. JSON mode is like it seems like a small feature, but actually so many people say this is a problem for them. So I think that's going to be great. Is that, so I, I, I maybe missed the importance of this. Isn't that the same as the function calling API? It's related, but you might want to have it in context where it's not like strictly doing function calling. Uh-huh. Right. Okay. Um, so a little bit more general. Bit I, more I mean, general. Typically, I'll just make up a function that doesn't act, isn't actually a real, real function that... Yeah, even then JSON. people say that for complex things, sometimes it violates the valid JSON thing. So uh-huh. I think just making that more reliable. Okay. Some stuff that I thought was initially I was excited about, and then as I've like like chewed on it a bit more, I'm a little bit less clear. So one is this like ability to jump in a bunch of documents and have it do rag for you. Yeah. I think like twenty what, documents max or something. Yeah, I think that like it's it's a cool feature, but it feels a bit gimmicky to me. Like it feels like for serious practical applications, it's gonna be hard to get that to work. If you think about what a large enterprise needs for rag like it's you know it's rarely sufficient that you could just jump in a bunch dump in a bunch dump of in a bunch of documents how you then matters there's usually permissioning yes. as to like which users can actually access which bits of data like yes. there's so much control that i think most developers will want to have for serious applications that i think it's cool for the like gpts in the low code version i'm skeptical that it'll get that much use yeah. by, by serious developers and i feel the threaded stateful like assistance API is really awesome, but I would like more clarity over how it's doing the like state keeping, like what ends up in the context. I yeah. think I think for that to be really popular, they need to make that transparent. Yeah. There's an API booth downstairs. I don't know if you've I've gotten spoken okay. to them, but they wouldn't answer any of these questions from him. Okay. Yeah, of course. But you know, obviously that but, but greatly is, affects human loop. But this is, you know, this is commentary over what I think overall was a set of really yeah. exciting announcements. Yeah. And and the last time we talked also you were talking about we were talking about the multimodal APIs. Yeah. And now you have finally them. here. What what happens now? <laughs> as I as I said to you when I spoke to you last time, right? Like it's a relatively straightforward yeah. addition to the human loop product. Like everything will continue to work, but now you'll also have images in and images out and yeah. audio in and audio out. It's kind of interesting, like seeing, you know, the assistance playground for OpenAI that they just released and things like that. Like it feels like they're starting to get close to supporting all of these things, but not quite yet. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. And then I think the last part is I saw Human Loop actually. Probably, probably not you, probably somebody else, but also talking about the fine-tuning. There was a price drop. I don't know how much because there was just so many announcements. But I imagine that's only only good things for fine-tuning. Yeah, I mean, there, yeah, there was so many announcements. I also missed the, the price drop, but I know from speaking to folks at OpenAI as well that they think a lot more people should be fine-tuning. Yeah. That fine-tuning is going to have like huge importance in the future. That's why they're building out the EY for it. That, you know, so that's something they're investing in very deeply. And yeah, I still view fine tuning as like an optimization step. Yeah, I think of it as like the compilation you do, like once you have something that's working, which is what is what they said in the other yeah, performance uh, session just now. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad that my <laughs> tips are, are aligned with opening eyes. I think I think you're very aligned. Uh, you, you're often leading them in what they say publicly, which I think is good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What about you, Sean? What did you think? Oh, I, I've said this uh, in a, in a previous recording, but uh, effectively, I. I 
I th- also thought they would do much less than they did today. I think they underpromised and overdelivered, exactly like you said. Um, and like even things like text to speech, which have been it's not just text to speech; it's really good text to speech. So right. I like I I think I told you last time I did like a near year long internship at Google, and I was working on the, oh, the yeah. first mural TTS yeah. team, like okay. team, the Tacotron team. There were amazing. So what did you get from um, their demo? I think I need to play with it more, but I was impressed by the quality. Yeah. Like the quality of the prosody, the variation. I think they're only releasing six voices, but... Secret Seven voice with the pirates. The Secret Seven voice voice. with the pirates. (laughs) And then I was chatting to to Andre just now. Yeah. And he was saying that internally, like they have voice cloning set up as well. So they can can do it with something like 30 seconds of speech. Uh, I'm not sure that's public. It's not public. I don't know. He didn't tell me it wasn't public. I okay, all right, all right. But well, uh, maybe maybe filter un- it out when, you, when, you, when you publish this. <laughs> <laughs> For what it's worth, I've been talking to a lot of people in and outside of Dev Day, and a lot of people have heard about the voice customization stuff. So it's not really going to get anyone in trouble, I don't think. So I just chose to leave it in there. I, whatever. I mean, I, 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 it exists elsewhere in other products, and I yeah. think it's it's fair fair play to compete with other companies. I don't who know already if they're going to release it. Yeah. Um, for obvious for obvious reasons, safety right? Reasons. There's a lot of safety concerns about releasing that kind of yeah. product. The the t- uh, and for what it's worth, uh, someone else, I think Fixie AI did a comparison of the pricing. Uh, they are se- severely undercutting like PlayHD and some of the other uh, t- text to speech companies as well on the pricing. They're between three to ten times cheaper per second or something than uh, than the other existing TTS companies. Yeah, I think that's very interesting. I think in general. Their promise to keep cutting prices and then following through is building a lot of confidence. Yeah, people new... people who were previously nervous about building on them. What's interesting, I think, is that as the like because they have such a large economy of scale and they continue to drive down prices, the option of like self-hosting a fine-tuned model, even for smaller models, starts to be like less obviously economical because uh-huh. of the like spin-up and spin-down costs. So unless you have the like volume of usage to justify having it on all the time it actually starts to become cost competitive to use one of these third-party APIs rather than having even a smaller model. Right, because it's serverless in a way. Yeah. So what, what can you give people an idea of what kind of volume that, that is? Are you talking about concurrent requests? It's, so if you look at most of the people who will provide you in like a, a serve model, if you look at like a Replicate or a Mystic AI or something like this. Yeah, l- l- f- Fireworks. Fireworks, yeah. a few of these companies. They tend to actually charge by like compute hour or compute minute. Yeah. And so if you're not like going to have it on all the time, then like, like the it's, reason is dollars. The it's reason, not... yeah, you end up needing it on all the time, though, because there's like cold spin starts. up, spin that cold starts. And so if you if you don't actually have enough usage to justify having it on all the time, it starts to become cost competitive to just use OpenAI. Yeah. So what I'm trying to get to is it's it's just dollars, though. Like it's, it's yeah. if it's like five dollars an hour. Yeah. Whatever. Like, uh, yeah, I, I agree. Okay. Depends on your use case, but yeah. <laughs> okay, got it, got it. All right, cool. cool. Well, thanks so much for jumping on. I know this is last minute, but it's just nice to see people. No, no, I always, I always love chatting with you. So yeah, yeah. Hopefully, there'll be more Pleasure. of this in the future. Yeah, for sure. The next guest is going to be a new name to many people. He hasn't done many public appearances, but he is a force to be reckoned with on Twitter. His name is Surya Danturi, and this is a story of somebody whose startup got killed by Sam Altman. So we're here with Surya. Hey. Hello, my name is Surya. You're new on the pod, but also I've, uh, we've been around each other in, in the tech circles yeah. for, for a little bit. You're, you're a fa- very famous developer of vector databases yeah. and of plugins. Yeah. What, 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 what are some of the plugins that you've done? Yeah, so I worked on a few plugins. I worked on like chat with PDF, chat with like video, chat with website, chat with like Git. Yeah. I made a, few, yeah, like, a lot of cool plugins. Yeah. Um, Making give decent you, money too. Yeah, I mean, you can, they give like 
fu- better functionality to pl- to like the whole GPT four interface. Initially, I wanted to do my homework with them, so I'm like, I might as well make a plugin for for it. So, yeah, they, they, I mean, they give like, there's like a lot of cool functionality. Like, I made one with called chat with like instructions, which would allow you to save more more custom instructions and use that when you're talking to GPT four. But yeah, I mean, they're making revenue. It's pretty pretty thick for you know people paying in 85 different countries. It's like nuts. How many people are like, or how many, how big the the scope is, or how many people can use it? I think you may have shown me this before, but there was a plugin platform that you use for monetization. No, Uh, I no. Oh, you build your own. You build. I build my own thing. All custom. I've seen someone do like Firebase for uh, and you know I. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, R.I.P. <laughs> no, I mean, they're doing well, but like, I just don't want to, uh, you know, pay a 10% tax and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, obviously, you're very technically savvy. Okay, Thank so you. what happened today? Uh, yeah. they, announced, they announced GPTs. <laughs> What's going on? Yeah, so like, I made a tweet this morning being like, Sam Altman killed my startup. And a joke, okay? <laughs> I just want to talk. Like, I was like, I was trying to notify people I'm here and I just want to meet up. I made the joke. And then a couple hours later, my friend Matt, he works at Julius. He showed me the new UUI. I'm like, okay, cool. And he was t- he was forced me to look at it, look at it on my phone. I'm like, okay, sure, I'll I'll pull it up. I pulled it up on my phone, and plugins were gone. Plugins were gone. You don't you can't. I think you can go between models, so you can go between four and and three. But the whole options of like code interpreter and like Dolly three and all those stuff, all those good stuff were gone from the UI. I think this is only if. This only applies for people who are here at the event. Yeah. I think they give access or like the new UI to people here. And they also, but yeah, plugins were gone. And I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> and I asked the person like, hey, like where, where's the plugin? Where, where can I, like where are the plugins? Like where, where does it go? <laughs> they basically told me like, you have to make a new GPT as a developer and you can import your schema into the new GPT. And the, only that way can you, you know, kind of revitalize your plugin. But your existing users will be like no, I think they're gone. I mean, I gone. Look, they're. I haven't looked at my stats <laughs> today. Well, but I mean, this is not widely rolled out yet. But when sure. it when it rolls when it out, rolls out, I'm pretty sure all of the they plugins, have to discover you again. Yeah, they're kind of dead. I mean, there's like no way. I don't think there's a way to link them. Yeah, like there's like no way for the users who were using it previously to be using the new thing now. Okay. But I mean, it's a side project for me. It's like not like a full time thing for me. It's a fun project to do and like. It's like a nice, nice thing to work on. So I'm really bullish on you know the whole new GPTs thing. I think they're a better abstraction. Yeah, I think GPTs are. Much, I was talking to a few OpenAI engineers, and I was like agreeing with them because like I think GPTs are a much better abstraction on what plugins were supposed yes. to be. I think plugins kind of died on arrival. Well, Sam said they did not have PMS, yeah, right? Yeah, he said yeah. that a long. He started that. He said that like one plugin started. Yeah. So it's like pretty nuts. But. Yeah, I think I think GPs are a better abstraction, and I also love they're doing revenue share. So yes, revenue share is also a good thing. good thing because like G plugins were like a really weird way of monetizing. You have to like do a bunch of finicky stuff, but yeah, I mean also like just by the way for people who don't know, Poe, you know Poe, right? Yeah, Poe did this a long time ago. They did this a couple months ago. They help they have they have these bots. They call it bots, and you can you know make your own like poem bot, or you can make your own like essay bot or whatever and then the bots have custom instructions and also they use a very specific model that the developer specifies and you can install these bots or you can chat with these bots and the bots will do whatever whatever the developer made them to do so i think they're just basically open i just made the same thing and they brought it over to them but 
Yeah, but effectively, plug into Karnadad. Oh, RIP. Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, RIP, but <laughs> it was a fun problem. I mean, it's fun. I think GP, I think GP, honestly, it's good that plugins died because like they had a bunch of issues. So one of the issues is that you can't share them. You can't share a link to them. GPTs, you could share a link to them. So like I can share my, my link to my GPT thing to you. So that's, it's much better for discoverability because previously the only way to discover a plugin was through the plugin store. You just search for it. You have to like do a bunch of stuff and it wasn't very good uh, in that aspect, but sharing a link to them, having revenue share, and you can uh, also like give custom instructions, custom context. So uh, they also came out with uh, with like retrieval or whatever, and that can basically give you like a custom a vector database directly in your in your GPT. I think uh, so that's all great, all good features that that should have came with plugins probably. But yeah, awesome. And then lastly, just like any of the new stuff that was launched today, what, what interests you in sort of building with them? Like if if you were to build uh, on the new API or the new GPT? Yeah, totally. I have some ideas. The thing is, like, this is really weird to say, but like, some of my ideas that I've said before for plugins, they kind of get copied quickly. <laughs> so, oh, so you want to keep it to yourself? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, but that's one part of it. The second part of it, I don't have any good ideas regarding what you can do with all the new functionality. Like, like that's like a that's like a good product. I don't know, honestly. There's yeah. like text to speech came out. The their internal vector DB thing came out. Um, internal vector DB thing, or like retrieval, or whatever it's called. Okay, yeah, people have been saying they have an internal vector DB thing, but yeah, it's just a retrieval. Yeah, it's like zero non-configurable, right? Like it's it's gonna be the, for simple use cases, it's fine, and then yeah. after a while, you're gonna need one to control yeah, over I'm, chunking. Yeah, and I'm stuff. Also, yeah, I'm also excited by one a contacts window. I was a big user of Claude for a while because Claude they basically gave you 100k contacts window directly on the UI, and you could upload your PDFs to it, and everything would work very well. Yeah, but and then Claude had some issues regarding. I mean, actually, very recently, Claude came out with this whole bullshit thing, bullshit copywriting thing. So, like, copywriting you, thing. Yeah, yeah, it's really weird. So, if you upload a PDF now on Claude, like just this week, they made this weird tweak where it doesn't answer any questions because if there's a copyright symbol or a copyright name anywhere, uh, yeah, 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 it just like blocks you out. It's like what? Yeah. Apparently, you can prompt inject that by insisting oh, really? that you are the author, and then it just overrides it. Oh, really? That's it's funny. like, don't worry, I got this. I'm the author of this. Nice. There's no copyright issue. <laughs> anyway, so thanks. This is a really good story, and uh, I wanted to yeah, people to share it. Um, yeah. And uh, excited for what you work on to become more public. Yeah, thanks, folks. All right. So that's what happened to ChatGPT plugins, which we covered back in March. But don't worry, that's not the full story. His startup is not fully dead. We actually cover what happens later on. I just wanted to capture the confusion that was happening at Dev Day. So he referred to Julius, and we'll actually talk in and check in with Rahul later on in this episode. But first, we have to go to our next guest. When OpenAI launched with GPTs and the Assistance API, one of the lead launch partners that they launched with was Zapier. And I managed to catch up with Reed Robinson, who is lead AIPM at Zapier, to talk about it. That. All right. Oh, Reed, nice to meet you. Great <laughs> to meet you too, Sean. It's really, really great to run into you as we're leaving. So you guys had a big co- sort of partnership launch on stage. Yes, yeah. We launched uh, AI Actions for GPTs, which yeah. we're really excited to see out there. Yeah. We also today launched uh, an update to our ChatGPT integration that supports the assistance API functionality that was announced. Same. And you were one of the earliest to go. In my mind, Zapier was very, very early in the natural language actions. NLA, I don't, I don't remember. Good memory, yeah. yeah, yeah. We launched our natural language action. Actually, so we were a launch partner for ChatGPT plugins. Yeah, and that's when we launched our natural language actions API. 
and actually the AI actions that we're calling it today yes. uh, kind of a we're rebranding that side of thing to really focus on on that functionality. Yeah. For that. And I just interviewed Surya, who is one who's a pretty prominent plugins developer. Plugins are dead. I, you know, or reborn. I, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I mean, there's clearly a difference. I think one of the things I talk about is the fact that you know with GPTs, you're able to constrain the prompt quite a bit. Like our plugin for ChatGPT, the initial one, you needed to give it access to every single action you ever wanted it to have access to, yeah. which meant that the kind of con. You know, anybody who's familiar with context is sitting there like, yeah, that's going to be an issue. Yeah. The common one I give is like, you know, if you had given it Gmail and Google Calendar and asked it like, hey, what's going on next week on my like agenda? It would sometimes search Gmail because it'd be like, yeah, events are in Gmail or like, you know, calendar invites are going to go to Gmail. So I should search there. But now you can, you know, define what apps it should use. You can define like how it should use those. So some really fun use cases. I mean, honestly, we've been hustling hard to get this out there. I'm really excited to see what people actually build with this and what gets released there. Yeah, we'll be monitoring, trying to listen to people really closely. And and so like... Something that's interesting about Zapier is that you ha- you are a collection of uh, actions in and off yourself. Yeah. So there's kind of multiple layers in which to do to do this. Like, what should exist at the GPT layer? What should exist at the Zapier layer? Yeah. Well, what's not what's nice? I mean, it's a good point. We have about six thousand like apps on yeah. the platform today. Really, what the AI actions is is it's the ability to use any of those searches and actions using kind of a natural language input. That would be like the instruction that the model gives it. So it's like, you know, check this user's calendar for Monday. And, you know, it might even give the, you know, the actual date for Monday, right? Um, And Zapier on our side will take that natural language request and process that into an actual API, like the actual API call to a tool like calendar. And then then we all run the response. So, you know, you can't just take the entire response of a especially like Gmail, Google Account, their API responses are very, 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 very long <laughs> and very confusing. And so we actually do a lot of work to kind of, if you will, like massage that data so that it makes sense for an LLM on the other side, that it is giving it the right information it needs and not just like the entire payload. Right. Uh, so it really helps it just kind of deliver like a, a more, again, it's more like contained, more refined experience for leveraging integrations alongside, you know, like ChatGPT. So z- existing zaps cannot be ported one for one over to no, it, LLM zaps. It's really one-off actions is the yeah. better way to think about okay. it. And you can chain them together in the, so like you can, you know, as you saw in today's demo, you know, was using Google Calendar for the search and a Slack action. You can actually chain those together. And so, you know, how much is that as like a one-off action versus an actual, like all of a sudden a zap? But in this case, it's almost more like, the trigger is the human in ChatGPT, right? Mm. Like you need to trigger it to yep. run for that. But on the flip side, you know, the assistance API is extremely exciting for me as well because you look at now like the that functionality of building a GPT, you know, allows you to getting used to the name. <laughs> yeah, allows you to kind of port that over to run asynchronously. So a common one, like the, the two examples that I love giving for that API that I love in Zapier is number one, like data export. You know, think of every tool out there like Looker, Mixpanel, Amplitude, all, uh, so many tools are able to send these like massive exports of CSV data on mm-hmm. a regular basis. Like you could say, hey, every Friday I export my blog traffic content or C- as a CSV, right? Normally someone's going to get that CSV and have no clue what they're doing, right? But now you can actually create an assistant in Zapier and you can give it instructions to say like, hey, tell me the top 10 performing blog articles in the last week. And also, you know, tell me highlights on, you know, maybe keywords that were used or SEO tags that were used and how that impacted conversions, right? Like you can be pretty detailed depending on what you're providing it. 
And that can now run asynchronously. That can run automatically. So every Friday, you know, 8 a.m., you could be getting the export of that data. It's going to go to an assistant. That assistant's going to reply with even charts and graphs. And those will come through and you can then send it to Slack. And yeah. so you can have every Friday a, converse, a post in your team's, you know, the blog team's Slack performance. Yeah. And that'll run automatically. And then they can even reply in Slack to that post and have a continuous no. conversation <laughs> with that assistant. Oh, my God. So yeah. it's like really everywhere. Yeah. So um, you can really put them everywhere. And that's, okay. so that's one of the things I like about what's released. And, and I think people are going to continue to learn really just how kind of wild that is. Is the fact that you can like use your actions in the UI of ChatGPT in a one-off action, but you can also run these things extremely well asynchronously. And yeah, yeah like OpenAI releasing API support for the vision model and for code interpreter and retrieval that these assistants can use is really cool. Yeah. Is there, uh, is, is there a Zapier angle to any of that? Or that's, that's what I They're all the same, like, right? You would do in Zapier, yeah, right? They're all like, the kind. The, you can, the whole like creating of an assistant and running that through an assistant yeah. is today support. You can do that literally right now. Yeah. So it's really cool. And the other one is like retrieval, right? I talk about, you know, you could go in, create an assistant, give it, let's say, you know, I, I talk about our accounting team a lot, right? You could give it, like if you have a team that approves budget requests from your company, right? Everyone does, right? They can actually have, take their Slack channel, or to create an assistant first that would have the documents of your policies of like, hey, here's what you can expense, here's how you can expense, here's eligible, ineligible, right? All these sorts of things. And actually then set up something like, I can't, I'll pick on Slack, it's just easy. <laughs> like a new message in your accounting budget request channel, right? And have it trigger a the assistant and send the user's request to the assistant with right. all, of your, all of your documentation with retrieval. With retrieval. And now it'll try to understand what your policies are, what everything is, and check the information against what that... And you can even, like I did one internally where we have a tool called, I think it's called Stacker, that tracks each employee's like software budget and home office setup budget, right? You can see how much they've spent of their budget. And you can actually include that data in the context of the user message so that the model will be able to say like, hey, I see you want to expense this webcam. It's actually over the recommended budget. But you personally do have budget left if you wanted to use it for that, right? And so you know, autonomy like, there. Yeah. And that's really cool. Yeah. So you can start to do all of those sorts of things now in Zaps that really were never possible. Yeah. So yeah, the querying of knowledge, running of data analysis, writing code even. Uh, I think in a, in a very real way, you are the perfect partner to OpenAI because <laughs> they, they, they've sort of built the reasoning sort of glue between all these things. It's, it's definitely been a good and fun yeah. partnership. Uh, I think, yeah, the big thing for me that I would say is like, I just, I'm really, really excited now to just see what people do with this and how we can improve it. Yeah, awesome. Is there anything, you know, you've been developing with, with these APIs for a while. Is there anything that you caution people not to get too excited about? Like, what, what, yeah. What, uh, I like, mean, yeah. Call outs that I'll always make is like double check accuracy, right? Like, okay. you want to call out like, okay, like how accurate is so it? Make sure that information is accurate. Make sure you're putting some human in the loop steps. Before you're putting this into like a Which critical, they work. show yeah. and like confirm deny, yeah, yeah that sort of thing. thing. But even yeah, all sorts of things. You really want to make sure that you're comfortable with like what can go wrong, what is likely to go right, right? Like all those sorts of constraints. The other side that I often talk about is just like keep an eye on you know if you have free form human input somewhere in your application that is triggering these things. You now that can sometimes prompt be risky, right? Yeah, yeah, prompt injections. Those are a real thing. And I, I think, you know, a lot of people are still trying to really what that means, <laughs> how bad that can be. Yeah. And, and so I always try to caution people about that as well, right? Like you really want to be realistic on kind of 
how far reaching yeah. you're doing with this. So yeah, that's why I like like the internal use cases that, you know, like things like that is a great way to start yeah. to get familiar with the technology, to get familiar with the constraints for that. Other than that, no, I mean, the voice model stuff, I'm really excited to try that. I really want to think. Yeah. Um, yeah, that'll be really I, cool. I love this the secret pirate mode that they demoed. I don't know if you caught that session. I didn't see that session. There's, no. So they, they say, obviously there are six voices, but there's a secret seventh mode. If you add in a prompt to speak like a pirate. Love it. Love <laughs> it. That was an old, I don't know if you remember Facebook way back in the day, had that as one of the languages you could select. Yes. Yeah. yeah so that reminds me of that. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, yeah lots of fun there. to be had with, with that as well. Any, okay. Well, thanks so much for jumping on. I know it's a uh, very oh, random, sure. but also, yeah, yeah, people love to hear from builders. So yeah. that's awesome. I, I love hearing from builders. And most of the interviews were done as we were sort of leaving the Dev Day venue and going to the after party. And I caught Div Garg of Multion, who we've been talking around and circling around a possible episode on. He's definitely one of the leading voices and thought leaders on agents because he's building a browser agent that's a very prominent one. Unfortunately, I have to take an L on this one because the audio is not great. Div's mic wasn't working and I don't know what happened to it. I, I try to always check these things, but you're only going to hear the output from my mic, which is slightly worse, but I opted to leave it in because Div is actually building an agent with OpenAI stuff and had access to GPT-4 Vision. And I think that people building with GPT-4 Vision will be surprised at his answer to me on whether or not it's useful for agents. Great to meet everyone. I'm this uh, founder of Multion, which is an AI web agent that can automate browsing for you. So we can book your flights, order stuff on Amazon, order dinner, whatever you can imagine. Yeah, and I was actually reflecting. So I, everyone who listens to this already knows what was announced. I was actually reflecting that they didn't have any browser-based actions. So what were your thoughts on just generally their approach to agents? So they it'd be very interesting because I feel like browser actions are just so risky. So and like things can go wrong. So if a company or you're open here, you won't you won't want to build that. And they're like better off just like relying on a third party to who like who wants to own that. And that's also the strategy where we are taking with them. We're like 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 open and launched like a ZPN integration for APIs, but we want Multion to be like the no API solution. Like I want to do things beyond APIs. I want to connect to my personal accounts where I just have my logins already, or I already have the cookies, and I want to want to go and like interact with my personal accounts or personal data very easily. And I think that this will be very fascinating for us, where we can like launch a multi-on integration with their new platform, and then you can just go and like give it a command, like oh, like can you book this flight for me on ChatGPT, and then it will launch a browser, and the browser you can see what's happening, and then go do the whole thing for you, and it'll be all seamless, and and then people can have a lot of fun, just like uh, trying out all these different capabilities and like automating their like daily workflows. You can like save this as custom integration, so for, for different agents you can have different custom like multi-on prompts that are that are already like pre-saved, and then you go like oh, I want to now go order something on like a DoorDash. I want to order my favorite burger. Then like ChatGPT can go and like suggest you order a favorite burger. Style. And then it's like, you can like now order this for me. Multi on and multi goes and like she does that and buys. So we solve the payment for you. We solve identity for you. And like we are owning all the risky like actions that can take. So so you, you're going to build a GPT version of multi on? Yeah, we'll have a multi on GPT. You, you, okay. W will that be like a replacement to your existing thing or just like an alternative way to use your same APIs or something like that. So, so like uh, the direction we're going for is we want to make our AI like agent embeddable within within existing applications. So mm -hmm. our launching an API. Okay. And we already have a like a ChatGPT plugin. And so this will be like sort of like a will like use the API to power this sort of like new GPT experience. So for us, we are, actually don't have to like change anything. It'll be like very streamlined, just integrate our API into ChatGPT and like people can start using it. Yeah, yeah, awesome. What about the, I guess the Vision API? I think one of the things that have always constrained browser agents is the DOM. 
Right. Which is very heavy. Yeah. And so the alternative approach is to use vision. Would you explore that? What are your thoughts? So for us, we actually had like early access to the Vision API for more than a month. And uh, we tried it on a bunch of websites. Maybe like 5% of the websites is actually really useful, uh -huh. which are more like image heavy because 95% of the websites, you can just, even if you do OCR, that's good enough. Yeah, it's not in the we data set. really good like parsing. So most websites, we can compress less than 3K tokens. So we are not, we, we don't really have to like worry about like, how heavy the text is. We, so we had one interesting use case about the Vision API. We had a user who got it to work on Tinder and, and then like the, then like multi Hot or not? <laughs> Left and right. And, and, and the user actually got a match. Yes. I think you have found the killer use case from Altion. Yeah. Like this. right? <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. But so, but only image heavy sites. That's surprising to me. Because you know the original Vision demo, they actually showed a screenshot of Discord and they had perfect OCR. It's true. But it should be good for you. It, it's, it, it can be very interesting. But the thing is, like, even without vision, we can just do like so much things. Yeah. So like adding vision maybe like helps a bit, but not it's not like really game changing for us right now. That's surprising. Okay. Yeah. Well, good good to know. Anything else that you would highlight from today? I'm just like really excited about like OpenAI trying to become a, like a marketplace, yes, an app store. Yes. So if this can take off, they could potentially kill like Apple App Store and become like the new thing there. Uh, and it's really hard to say, like how things will go. But they tried this with plugins before, but this like this might actually work this way. But it'll be just really interesting to see like how two years from now, how a lot of the development might like how the world looks like. Yeah, and I'm very excited about like two years from now, like I think everything will be so different. <laughs> we might not even use computers or even like mobile phones. You just have an assistant, you just talk to it, and the assistant goes and does everything. Yeah, it'll be a fascinating world. Yeah. So one last question before we go: You have a nice side gig teaching at Stanford. Oh, well, you, you were a PhD student and, and you, you put on top. But you, you're still teaching or curating Transformers United. Yeah, so I dropped out from the PhD, but I'm still a lecturer at Stanford. Yeah, okay. So, like, what paper should people read to, like, like catch up on this? Like, what, what, what is, like, top of mind in terms of, like, research that is informing what we're seeing? Yeah, no, it's definitely very, it's a good question. There's things are moving so fast and there's, like, hundreds of research papers coming out, like, literally, like, <laughs> a few days. Yeah. I'm really excited about, like, the developments that are happening at, like, Meta, so a lot of this work is open source on the Llama stuff, yeah. all the Mistral stuff. I feel like that's very interesting on the Transformer side. Do you believe sliding window attention was the key for Mistral? I, I feel so for them, but I feel like uh, there might be other ways to do it. There's that. some secrets, right? Yeah, There's probably some secret. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's all the time we have, but thank you so okay. much. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Okay. And our next guest is Louis Knightweb, CEO and co-founder of Bloop AI and organizer of the AI meetups in London, where he is a very prominent and staunch member, unlike Raza, who has defected to San Francisco since our last conversation. Louis always has very interesting takes in person, and it was a pleasure to finally actually get him to come on the pod. But also we recorded this while inside of a Waymo on the way to our uh, after party. So Louis, you are new to the pod, but we've been friends for a while. Maybe explain that, maybe introduce yourself and how you come to the world of AI. Yeah, I guess. So we started Bloop, me and my co-founder, three years ago in a very different era for, for machine learning. And we both started the company because we wanted to help engineers navigate large code bases in a much better way. Yeah. And originally that was training our own models to do natural language to code search. And today we still do that, but obviously those language models are very small compared to the state <laughs> of the art. Yes. And so they're just one part of a 
a much bigger pipeline. I, I see you as a very astute technologist. Uh, you used to be a VC. You wrote the first check into Human Loop, and you used to share an office with Human Loop to the That's point right. that I called it Human Bloop. Yeah, yeah, I think you like that. Yeah, I did. Yeah, that is good. <laughs> we're, we're considering renaming. <laughs> uh, and you also run AI Tinkerers in London. I do. Yeah, London has a kind of a slightly different mix of, of of talent than, say, San Francisco. You've got a lot of agencies, a lot of enterprises, and so yeah, we we just felt a need to start like a very startup focused event, and that's why we we created AI yeah. Tinker at London. Yeah, I think Alex Gravely will be very happy to hear about uh, all the stuff that you've been doing. And I've been to one of them, and it's really good work. I might be the only one has been has been to both. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe I've, be, I've been to both as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's fast forward to today. Uh, yeah. A whole bunch of things were was announced. What's uh, top of mind for you? Yeah, so I think like context length is something that that we spend a lot of time evaluating whenever something new drops. All of the kind of standard evals you know, the, the kind of literacy tests, things like that, they they generally don't do a good job of measuring whether a model can actually use the context length that it that it claims it has. Yeah, context utilization is what I saw Will Dupuy today call it. Exactly. And so this basically started maybe five months ago over the summer when Claude 2 dropped. And, you know, obviously it had 100k context and we were really excited about that. So we ran an experiment to see Basically, if we hid 10 pieces of information in the prompt and we increase the size of the prompt, you know, so you do it at 1,000 tokens, 4,000, 8,000, et cetera, up to 100,000, how many of the original 10 pieces of information can it retrieve? And we essentially found that the accuracy drops off a cliff between 1 and 10,000 tokens. And so, and we repeated the same experiment with GPT-4 and, you know, we found similar results that 32K GPT-4 can only find one of the 10 pieces of information. Oof. But if you are only using a thousand tokens, it can find nine of the pieces of information. So what that tells us is that, you know, context utilization five months ago was 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 not great with, with all of the state-of-the-art models. So with the announcement of 128K today and that's the first test you'll run? That's the first test I'll run. And okay. they, I, you know, having spoken to a couple of the team members who do eval today from OpenAI, you know, they're pretty confident that the model's got better ability to, to answer questions at those context lengths. So it's time to time to measure. Time to measure. Any other of the API features? Reproducibility, does that matter to you? Uh, I think, to me personally, no. <laughs> I, I, I kind of like the creativity. I, like, <laughs> I, I normally have my models at like, you know, temperature. Point, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and a bit of yeah. temperature. Yeah. But I know lots of uh, people on the Bloop team who'll be very happy, I'm sure. And then I guess the JSON features, the, you know, I, I, there's yeah. so many, like the multimodal features, any of that appeal for, for you personally? Even JSON if- is, is definitely a big one. I think it allows you to, to kind of standardize how you call different models. Yeah. So instead of having to build, you know, the, and it's not a massive thing to build, but to build the, the, the kind of function calling integration. And then if you want to try Anthropic, you've got to go and like have a completely different way of interpreting the output. So if you can just stick with JSON across all of your different LLM providers, open source models included, that's definitely advantageous. allows you to evaluate different models more easily. So, yeah. Yeah. Very excited about that. You are, you, so you compete in a, in a pretty competitive space with the code assistance, so code search, code, code assistance, right? We there's, do. there's source graph, there's Codium, there's other Codium, there's, yeah. <laughs> there's oh. Copilot and, and, and so on. You've never ventured into the agent side of things. 
Yeah. Is that a conscious strategy? Are you waiting for the right time? Are you waiting for the right APIs? I think, I mean, we're, we're seeing traction at the moment with companies that have very large code bases, right? And it's not something we hear from those users that, you know, when we, when we listen to their problems, it hasn't been like an obvious fit to try and build like maybe an auto GPT type of agent. I'd still say, you know, we're, we're very interested in agents. The pipeline we have at the moment is basically GPT in a big while loop with, with function calling, which, you know, like nine months ago definitely did count as an agent, maybe less so now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just, it's just customer and problem driven and we don't, you know, it's not a, it's not a hammer for the nails that we've, we've got. Yeah. So two comments on that. One, I think OpenAI has sort of put their flag a little bit in the definition of an agent. They had three things, right? They had custom knowledge. Yeah. They had custom instructions. And then I forget the third one, custom tools. Let's just say. Actions. By that that definition, we're doing, yeah. So we've been doing that since, since about February. That's the. That's the definition. (laughs) Then the second observation I would say is you talk to developers, but what if the target customer for agents is not developers? It's the PMs, right? So we we definitely see a lot of PMs using using the product or people that are defined as like reading more code than they write. So, you know, it could be designers trying to understand the implications of an interaction. could be PMs trying to fact check a, a... a contentious time estimate from a developer or something like that. Like the low trust environment there. <laughs> Talking from, I've, I've seen some, yeah. seen some stuff. Egreg- egregious <laughs> things. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so basically it's still not that appealing for you, but you're, you'll keep a lookout for it. Like the, the stateful stuff. Right? I, I think, uh, I think based on the definition of OpenAI, you know, released today, You've been we, doing it. we, we, we tick all the boxes. And I think okay. we were one of the, the, the earliest adopters of that. If if that's the definition, you yeah. just don't brand yourself with the agents. Uh, I don't think it's important sort of to users. I don't think I don't think that's why people use the product. I mean, we're very solutions focused. I think we we start a lot of our branding in at the start of the year was about models and and you know we put GPT four GPT three right there on the front page and now you know we've we've kind of reoriented to be more about solutions. I think that that reflects kind of maturity of the the ICP we're going after and and, and where we are with with sort of stage of company life yeah yeah cool any other things that you personally you know not, not bloop related are just excited by interested by from today any interesting conversations with others loads of really interesting ones i, I had had a, a fascinating uh, talk with some safety researchers who Ooh, they were here they so there's was, was, was a couple of uh, people who were kind of phd students who had kind of looked at adversarial attacks through fine-tuning of models and found that basically like it's, it's such a hard problem to solve is if you enable fine-tuning it's basically impossible or very difficult to to make it so that you can't disable all the safety features mm. you can just train it to spit out all sorts of stuff so that was pretty fascinating um, i'm excited about the way we're in right now Oh, yes. So we should tell people we're recording in a Waymo. We haven't been looking at the road the whole time. Is this your first Waymo? It is my first Waymo, actually. Yes. My first Waymo Thank you for too. taking my Waymo virginity. But, I know. Uh, got I've, to experience this together. I've been a cruise stand the whole time until they ran over someone. So my, so, so my take on cruise, like at sample size, 10 cruise journeys before they got shut down. And three of them resulted in something popping up on the screen saying that I had been in a collision. 
And did they use the word collision? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I'll, surprising. I'll, I'll show you after that. I got. I, got I take a fair amount of, of cruises, and it didn't. Yeah. And okay. so it was the same situation almost every time, which was a car was in front trying to park, and I think they just maybe bumped fenders or maybe the crash detection. Oh, there was actual contact. I think in one of the cases, I think there was. In the other wow. two, I didn't feel anything, but okay. it came up saying like you've been in a collision, and somebody comes over the intercom, checks if you're like okay. That. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, but out of a you know ten ten rides, and three of them ended like that. So I think yeah. Some, definitely some questions there. But this way moves pretty smooth. Maybe also we're in a better neighborhood for driving because so we're going to the Golden Gate. The time of day, that was that's a really good point. I noticed that all of the ones I took at night, all of the cruises uh, I took at night were fine. And when I took one during rush hour, it was a completely different experience because the routes it would take, it had this really aggressive, maybe traffic management, something that was going on. So it take take a long time to get from A to B. Yeah. 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 I. It often puzzles me slash interests me that self-driving is almost solved. Uh, you know, we still have some bumps in the road. Some Sometimes the bumps are human. <laughs> it's solved in San Francisco where you've got wide open roads, nobody cycles. and that, that's, that's not true. Some, okay, you, some people cycle. I live here. I, excuse some me. People cycle, some people cycle. Okay. No, but I, I mean, compared to like, okay, compared, compared, compared okay, to fine. London where you've got, you know, roads half the size built for horse and carriage and millions of cyclists and buses and all sorts. So I think, you know, it's, it's going to be a long time until we have that same experience that of a, of a cruise or Waymo today, London. Uh, well, I understand London's a tougher neighborhood, uh, but still, you know, we're 80% there, 75, 80% there, whatever, right? But like, and it seems like the, the stuff that we do in the rest of our lives in terms of AI automation is so primitive compared to this, which is the car that we're sitting in right now. And yeah. I find that weird. I find like the relative ease or the relative like hereness of this technology is very dis- disparate. Like how come it didn't trickle down from self-driving to the rest of tech? Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Well, I don't know how those pipelines are, are, are built. I assume that's the secret source, right? The flip side of that argument is like, maybe it's very scary that we know, like now many more people understand the the mistakes that these these types of systems can make because we're all getting hands on with, with GPT and this system is equally as problematic <laughs> and we're just oblivious to it because it's a black box. Almost at your drop off. Oh. Check the app for walking directions. Okay, Wema. All right. Well, well I think, yeah, that's probably all right. <laughs> but thanks so much for giving a quick yeah, review and uh, thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. So that was Louis, whose opinion I think is very reflective of the people who are building code generation or code search type startups based on top of GPT-4. And as we headed into the Dev Day venue, we actually caught Shreya Rajpal from Guardrails AI. And there was an interesting comparison here in our conversation between how she views the LLM stack versus how OpenAI views the LLM stack. OpenAI actually had a closed door session where they gave some thoughts on how they felt that people should start from prompting and build up into a full software system. And they actually deferred a little bit from Shreya. Don't worry, all that is recorded. The videos will come out in a week, but you can listen to Shreya's take. So, so we're, we're reviewing AI Engineer Summit. Yeah, we're reviewing the AI Engineer Summit and it was a very, very well-organized conference. And a small thing that I was thinking about is that your swag yeah. for is, speakers... Is it, is it on? Okay, it's on, yeah. Your, your speaker swag was 
like not surprisingly, I guess, but like really weirdly very nice. And it just kind of like showcases this attention to detail that uh, I think like really kind of permeated the entire, you know, conference. Okay. Like every single decision was very well thought through and, you know, kind of like to a degree of like quality that's very rare to see. So yeah, it was it was amazing. I, I thought you guys did Thank like you. an absolutely fantastic job. Yeah. This one mostly goes to Ben. So I'm, I'm definitely <laughs> going to make sure that Ben understands that I really appreciate the work that he does. And this is why I couldn't do it myself. You know, I'm mostly the content guy. But I don't, he's the logistics and he, he's run conferences for eight years. So that's why I keep working with him. Yeah, I also kind of really enjoyed the 18 minutes, you know. Really? Yeah. Yeah, when I saw that, I was like, huh, is this going to be, you A know, problem? is this going to be enough? And yeah. like, is that, but it was like. It It'd was, be great. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But I, I think the 18 minutes was actually the right kind of bite size. <laughs> it's optimized um, for YouTube. Yeah, I see. Interesting. Okay. Because it's not the in-person audience that matters. I see. I see. I see. I see. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I need to promote my, my video more. Uh, yeah. Is, it, is yours yeah. up yet? I don't think it's up yet. It's not up yet? Yeah, we're releasing. We're dripping them out I to okay. spread it out. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. So yours maybe in two weeks from now. Okay, okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Okay, so welcome back. Thank you for having uh, me. Long, yeah. uh, I think you were guest number five. Something yeah. like, you were super early. <laughs> so so we're uh, we're at the after party now. Yeah. How do you feel about the whole day? I'm I'm really excited. I think yeah. it was yeah, I think the ex uh, I think the excitement in the air with like everybody just like waiting with bated breath to see I guess like what gets destroyed, but also like what gets really optimized. Gets I think this is like very, it feels like you're really part of a movement. And as Shannon who were like, uh, you know, us like early people in this space, we got to stick together because like whatever happens to any of our companies, you know, there's such a like, there's such a transformative moment in technology. that Yeah, you know, so you don't care, right? Yeah, yeah we're all going to like look back on this time. But I, I had a, I had a blast. Like I really, really enjoyed the, the releases. Yeah. What got destroyed? What got destroyed? I'm I'm, um, I'm mining for hot takes here. <laughs> I, once again, I think my takes are very uh, measured. Unfortunately, very measured this okay. time. I wish I had spicier your, your, takes. Your takes are within the guardrails of um, common acceptable common behavior. Yes, I was. I think retrieval is like the big one for me. I think it's kind of really exciting to see the retrieval baked in, and that's one thing where I'm very interested to see like does that pattern become common by model providers a by commercial model providers and also by like, open source model providers yeah. and then how much of retrieval do you have to do yourself yeah. you know and like what remains challenging about retrieval yeah. compared to just like you know this this really easy api to just like have it done for you right yeah i, th I think what they did was effectively build the basic patterns in yeah but for the more advanced stuff you're still going to need lang chain lama index all those yeah 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 so for the longest time believe we'll that in RAG, it's the retrieval that's the hard part, right? Yeah. And then generation is really easy. As long as you have better, like, good retrieval, you can, like, get really, really far. And the generation only gets you, like, a little bit over. And so I'm really curious to see, like, okay, how, once again, like, how complex do you need it to be in order to start seeing good results? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And yeah. what, what, do you, are your normal benchmark tests like? Do you, do you have actually have a set of tests that you run whenever you're, like, exploring something or mm -hmm. some personal favorites of, like, use cases that, you think are tricky for LLMs to do well? <laughs> I think like a big focus of ours is on hallucinations. So always kind of like checking out hallucination and like conflicting instructions, et cetera, is one. Terse responses is another, you know, like how well is it? Or like not, you know, you ask it a question and here's this 10 point list and, you yeah. know, very, very verbose. Do you very... have a terse response validator? Yeah. Well, not, we don't have it. Like we don't have it publicly, but like we do kind of like check ah, it. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. So I think like those are kind of some of the things. There was one, there was one example in the, one of the close 
door sessions where they, they mm-hmm. all the answers were t- tutors. Yeah, yeah. Where I think everyone would laugh when they, they were like, "Can you write a blog post about this?" And the guy and yeah. the GPT said, "Sure, I'll do it tomorrow." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think like those are. I think those are. I'm really, really excited Double about. Check. Let me, yeah, just check. I'm it. really, really excited about JSON generation. Okay. I'm actually kind of surprised to see how long it took them to yeah. get like it's. They're probably just doing constrained decoding under the hood, right? Like constrained generation. Okay. Because they're now saying that guaranteed correct JSON rather than you know more correct. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, I was yeah. I was parsing through their words. They've never had an issue producing JSON. It's just that sometimes it doesn't fit the JSON schema, right? Am I am I wrong? You would know better than, more than me. No, I think there are also issues with like producing. I think the, okay, so like, the obvious like thing is unbalanced like unbalanced brackets. Out, when it's on context length, I think that's like an obvious uh, thing, right? Yeah. But like weird things when you have like really long strings, then quotes, etc., become kind of weird. Uh, okay. So I think those are some other ones. Schema is obviously kind of challenging, etc. Yeah, I think there are even with function calling, like function calling. At least I, I haven't played around with it yet today. But previous generations of fun- function calling wouldn't guarantee that your schema is matched, correct? Which would be an issue. And yeah. I think they're still not guaranteeing it because I kept waiting for them to say it. I haven't read any of the public docs or anything. Do you know if they're guaranteeing that it fits the schema or they're oh, like... Oh, that's a good question. I Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. They never yeah. said they guaranteed. Yeah, they never said they guaranteed. They, they guaranteed correct JSON. They didn't guarantee yeah. if the JSON matches the schema. Yeah. So, okay, you can call JSON loads. Like, yeah, yeah, big yeah, loop, yeah. Like. yeah. <laughs> there's been like, I'm very curious to see like, once again, if this is a pattern that, you know, all of the other foundation model providers adopt. Yeah. And I don't see why not, yeah. right? Like, I, I think for them to kind of like own specific decoding models is going to like make a lot of sense compared to, you know, like, yeah, a lot of the a lot of the hacky stuff. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Any other favorites? You know, not doesn't have to be guardrails related. Any favorite conversations? Um, favorite demos? Favorite I oh the GPTs and the assistants. I think you want like to make one is, for yourself. Yeah, uh, I do want to make one for myself. It doesn't add like yeah, it's not very guardrails related. I do want to yeah. kind of play around with like how well it works with like some of the things we track. But yeah, it was just so fascinating to see the marketplace. I like, am very very curious to see you know what the marketplace looks like. Like is it are people going to have like really really vertically specialized things on the marketplace like if you have a generic you know sales assistant or something right like how much or sql generator how much how popular does that become versus like sales assistant for x vertical at y stage of the sales process oh my god do you know what i mean like <laughs> it's it's so easy to do this now yeah that like where at what level of specialization do you need to be to kind of start seeing the results and that is one thing i'm very excited to see like how that yeah. how that pans out it scares yeah. me a little bit because it's basically they, they say like, the future of programming is natural language or something like that yeah and that's great but like it really is a new platform, a new operating system almost that they're, yeah, yeah, yeah. That they're yeah. creating. Yeah. And I don't know how to position myself. <laughs> Not that I have to, because yeah. my, my world is very developer-oriented. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. this is a whole no-code world that you yeah. and I yeah. don't touch. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I really want to see, like, is there go- is it just going to be, like, assistance for everything? Like, what? I'm generally curious to see the impact of this on knowledge work, you know? Which, yeah, like how much of my work, like if I'm getting annoyed by something, is my first instinct going to be like, you know, let me just, you know, spend the five minutes to build an assistant for this. Like, is is that how everybody's now going to start yeah. thinking? Uh, you know, and that's one thing I kind of really want to see. Yeah, yeah. that's exciting. Yeah. Okay, last question. You spoke at uh, Andrew's Inch Summit. Let's advertise your talk a little bit and point people to your talk. Yeah, um, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, so thank you again for inviting me to oh, the AI Engineer Summit, one of my favorite conferences that I've attended, <laughs> you know, this year. Uh, my talk was about the new paradigms for working with large language models, you know, for building really production-ready applications when the technology that you're working with is under underneath all of it, you know, non-deterministic. Really fascinating thing, which was the op- OpenAI's talk about building production-grade applications, talked about how essential it was to build guardrails yes. as a way to make it do product. You're talking applic- about the one from today. The, yes, the one from today. Uh, so which people haven't seen yet, but well, which people haven't seen yeah, yet, yeah. but really, really cool talk. So I think it really validates what we've been saying pretty much since the beginning of the year, which is that you'll get like a certain, you know, you'll get to a certain point, but at that point, you need to start adding guardrails to your application if you need to get your users to start, yeah. uh, you know, getting value out of what what you build out, right? So yeah. Uh, so I, I I have your pick your chart, and I have their chart. They put guardrails at the first layer. Hmm. It's not at the end. It's it's actually right at the beginning for yeah. user experience. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was kind of interesting to see that they put it as part of the UX. I'm still kind of very candidly, I'm still kind of digesting that. Like I think of it as I think of it as part of the infrastructure. And I don't know if as it's as much UX as it is, you know, just like one of the components that you need in your yeah. stack. But I, I, I think the pat, like a lot of what they said today completely validated, you know, what we've felt for the longest time. And also what I go really in, in depth about, like in the talk that I gave, right, which is that what happens when you have the, once you have the bare bones application ready, what is the process of actually adding guardrails for what you care about? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. You know, what are the risks that you care about? How do you verify that those risks are happening or not happening if they are happening how do you quantify them and then how do you mitigate them that was what, what that was what the talk was about which i would really recommend people go and check out awesome well you did a great job we're going to post the talk soon and thanks it's good awesome. to see you again yeah, thanks again for inviting me and that was about all i managed to get before the after party at the after party there was actually an after after party thrown by news research so let's hear a little bit about open ai versus open source ai from alex volkov Okay, so we are in the one day after Dev Day here with Alex. Hey. Hey. <laughs> very, very recognizable voice right now. We don't have to introduce you. Hey, everyone. And we are here to talk about the two parties that happened yesterday. Mm. There was one official Dev Day OpenAI after party where I interviewed Shreya, who is just before this. And then there's an unofficial one for keeping AI open by news. Yeah. So what was it like to just compare and contrast? So let me maybe start with like who news research is. Oh yeah, yeah. Most it's, people haven't heard of it. It's news. written N-O-U-S. So I, I mispronounce it now multiple times. It's, like mm-hmm. it's news research. It's one of the few organizations online that started like from a Discord and then like kept going up yep. until like a significant amount of people are like working with them, affiliated with them, of folks who take open source model to its most extreme capability. So mm-hmm. collect data, data sets from open source, open source and more closed source and depending on that they release like the different licenses and then they fine tune open source models that were like released to us from like Llama for example and Mistral uh, which is a French company that recently released a 7B model that's the best and they've been doing this since Llama 1 but recently it really kicked into high gear with Llama 2 releases because Llama 2 ended up being with a commercial license so you could actually use this for actual you know products and services and Mistral came out with like a full Apache 2 license with a BitTorrent link I think you remember that Mm -hmm. and so these organizations suddenly became like a very very important currency in the in, in the world of like 
where the whole world of AI is going because they're running local models and many companies love OpenAI but either cannot afford this or cannot risk the chance that OpenAI changes something like we saw with DevDay. And so uh, many people are turning on to like, okay, if we want to run our own hardware, how do we actually do this? And you can run it, you can run Llama 2 and all these models on your own hardware, but then you want to fine-tune them for your own purposes. And so how do you actually fine-tune? And now organizations like News Research was probably the biggest one, Alignment Labs, shout out to Austin and folks from, from Alignment Labs, Skunkworks, and many of these like uh, people come up and say, hey, we have the know-how. And we only started learning about this like eight months ago, six months ago themselves, but now they're like the specialize more people that fine-tune models and actually release the best kind of models on the hug-and-face open-source leaderboard. Yeah, yeah. and in, in my knowledge, top two models that I keep hearing about, one is Hermes. Mm-hmm. And they recently switched the base model for Hermes from Llama to Mistral because apparently it's better. Yeah. Hermes is like an instruction data set, 900,000 instructions. Yep. I don't really know where it's from. Maybe I don't want to know. <laughs> they also do some like fun models. There's like a mystical model that they do. Trismestus, yeah. Some some stuff like that. I think it's a, actually a little bit weird that they keep releasing models. Like they, they release like three models a week. It's insane. Right? And it's very hard to keep up. Like I'm like, okay, which one is actually the one that I should pay attention to? Yeah. So first of all, you're welcome to join Thursday Eye and <laughs> yes. then we talk about all the models every week. Yeah. It's kind of interesting to that if i do like a recap for a month the beginning of the month most of the updates don't matter because like every every this i'm doing monthly and i i feel this like i'm doing this i'm doing this for historical posterity like five years from now people want to look back then they they can look at my notes because i only have 12 a year yeah nobody's gonna look at your notes they're gonna have a gpt trend on your notes answering everything (laughs) i have yeah i'm doing like every week and every week we're talking about like this model outperforms that model like significantly and we're noticing significant changes from week to week literally in the span of a month we went from a 33 billion parameter model which is big and parameter count is not everything there is right you can have a smaller model with like larger longer training that actually will perform better than whatever but we're noticing smaller and smaller models doing outperforming bigger ones significantly zephyr from hugging face outperformed llama 70b and zephyr is like only like a 7b model on some things on some things for sure and so that's very interesting because like it's really hard to evaluate evaluation frameworks are bad everybody's saying that they're not representing of anything people can fine-tune overtune on them and so there's this whole kind of subculture of open source mostly on discord some of them on on x and twitter spaces and for some reason but i find it very like humbling and incredible they also hung out in thursday i and so that's how i got to this that's how i got to meet like news research folks technium emozilla and they organized the the counter party event last night together with some other eac people that we know from twitter as well including Mark Jason. So apparently he was supposed to, I didn't see him. Uh, uh, okay. but like he was I, I saw to a photo him. with a bald head of a big guy. So I was like, is that Mark? I don't, I don't know. Anyway, but the opening eye party was at an art museum mm-hmm. and then the news research party was at a club. At a club, yes. <laughs> at Folsom, Folsom Street in San Francisco, a club. Yeah. 10, 15 Folsom, I think. Sure. Opening eye was a very like, highbrow buttoned up yeah. event post there was a, yeah there was a live band uh, someone playing jazz yeah yeah, yeah. which I, I think I mentioned this once it was too loud yeah. we want to talk we don't want to listen to music no folks. no no we're just old yeah just, <laughs> so uh, everything everything is too loud and then uh, it was like a lot of people a lot of networking a lot of people trying to get together maybe do business together and like very very awesome many people from OpenAI actually showed up a lot of people we stood in line there was a long line for the magnum mirrors to, to yeah, step in yeah. and then everybody like passing us around was like open AI employee that passing like straight through yeah and then that ended around eight which is like the standard san francisco like buttoned up oh event. yeah that's when you go to bed it's that's when you go to bed yeah. 
And that's when the other party kind of started. Yeah, yeah. And I think they just seized the opportunity because everybody's in town for the OpenAI stuff. Yeah. Why not make a splash, an announcement for like for open sourcing AI? So literally, the the invite was keepaifree.com, yeah. uh, which was the the website, and the keepaiopen.com. Yeah. And you had to register, you had to go in there. And this was, to me, an incredible kind of show of Twitter in real life. Mm -hmm. So uh, all of the uh, folks who follow Mark Andreessen, he recently stepped into this thing with like the techno-optimism stuff. Yep. He started to like, boost the e uh, effective accelerism, EAC yeah. uh, folks. And so there's a lot of like, signature stuff from that like yeah. uh, ecosystem on Twitter. There's like, don't tread on me with like, you don't take away my GPUs. There's like all these signs across the club. The It's a very visual club as well. So where the DJ is, it's a whole like a 3D projected thing. So there's like a bunch of like art and like live things about Keep AI Open. I, I found it like very, very super cool. I, I'll, I have to tell you a tidbit. I saw me and Killian were there from Open Interpreter. We saw two people with lab coats. It was like, what's the deal with lab coats? So we went and asked and they just said, hey, we just like we came back from our work where we work on semiconductors. We're actually like touching chips, whatever. Yeah. We just like didn't change out of it. Yeah. And my head was like so, so incredible in the Keep AI Open GPU kind of <laughs> poor party. We have people who literally work on superconductors <laughs> came from the work or like the working chips yeah yeah semiconductors are super very different things i think semiconductors yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes yeah yeah we uh we had the superconductor episode uh a while a while back i think people are still recovering i'm st <laughs> i'm personally still recovering from that there was a whole thing for yeah. me yeah so is news research like vibes uh you know like what what is the mission apart from to keep publishing open source models I think you'll have to get some news people to actually speak like uh, about the mission, about the actual product. But as as far as I understand this, no matter how much the product side will be, and yeah. there will likely be, there's uh, so many people there doing like so incredible stuff that people notice, like yeah. you know. So no no matter how like how much of the, the the business side will be, they're like committed to fully open source as much as possible, including data sets, including mm -hmm. models that are like Trismestus, for example, their model that's like trained on the occult and the physical and metaphysical. All, you you can't expect OpenAI to let you talk with a model to answer with like mystical questions, mystical stuff, astrology, like, Halloween. So you you're very like easy into the astrology and Halloween. They're talking about like you can ask this model about like resurrection and stuff, right? Like all of the occult like craziness that they've collected, OpenAI will not let you do that. And so there's I think OpenAI will not let you do by default because they have lawyers and they would don't get sued. Yeah. Recently they announced the you know, protection shield thing, so you won't get sued because of their model. So they're them Anthropic, all these big companies. It's very important for them to protect the outputs and the models. Here these folks are like, hey, if you want to build a model, fine tune this. We're going to teach you how jump on our discord we're going to help you with producing like the biggest models and then if you know there's going to be like a financial aspect to this as well if you're a company that wants to run this we'll also help you do that yeah so it's the same as stability basically is is that's from what it, from talking to him that's what i gather yeah cool anything else that people should know about the party news i found the whole day to be like a very singular ai day and we don't get many of this gpt4 i think was the biggest one yeah. previously it was yeah, like march. like a yeah. single march 14th that's yeah. what thursday i started yeah. we started talking about this every week this was a singular day in san francisco this like started pregame party with swix and, and some other folks <laughs> yeah, that yeah. i i got to feel like a little bit of san francisco and then 
Dev Day was incredible. We just heard from Simon. There was like a garage that they made into a venue event. Yes. Probably custom venue event on the fly, which like yeah. just talks about how much uh, they can pull off. It felt to me that like this Dev Day event and then the following party, it felt a little bit like almost like an Apple thing. Yeah. Where like it's going to be a yearly thing that people will like try yeah. to get in as much as possible. Yeah. One thing to note that in the other party, there were many people who didn't get in to this party. And so, you know, they were watching from like a, a party. Yeah, this, this office right here. This uh, office people watched here. Watched the, the and people party. watched yeah. in, in the live space that we... we yeah. 8,000 people tuned in to our spaces. 8,000 people tuned yeah. in? I didn't even have a chance yeah, to I went look to at check. it. I always want to know the number. Oh, wow. So it, it shows the relative level of interest. And, you know, like, so quoted 22,000. Mm. This is 8,000. Yeah. Just relative interest by yeah the there's by like developers. two spaces as well robert scoba he he stole the thunder stole, a little bit. Stole some yes, audience nah, fine. Yeah. shout out robert and i think that like it's it was a singular day and i think the news research keep open source open eac mark Andreessen, like all these things together also added to the top of this because like it happened in the same day one on top of another in the same place san francisco yeah, yeah. i i find it incredible i would you know definitely come back next year to it yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think you'll be back sooner than that. So yeah, probably. There'll be yes. other things going yeah. on. All right. Thanks. Awesome. All right. Last but not least, we go back all the way to the Newton, where I started this podcast, where we checked in with Rahul Sonwalka, better known as Rahul Ligma, who just celebrated his one-year anniversary as one of the biggest memes and celebrities in San Francisco. But by day, he's also the CEO and co-founder of Julius AI. And I'll match it up. What's up, Swix? Hey, good to see you. It is one day after Dev Day, and we all had a chance to process. How do you feel? What's what's your top takes? Dev Day was awesome. We got to see a bunch of really smart people who are building cool things with OpenAI, GPT, Dolly. The event was very well put together. The keynote was awesome. The energy in the room was crazy. And I could see real-time social media firing up <laughs> with all these takes. Overall, I think it was a good good day. Yeah, I interviewed Surya Dantuluri. Yeah, uh, I think you know him. He was like, Sam, I just killed my startup. <laughs> <laughs> and it was almost true for him because he, he has a bunch of plugins yeah. and plugins are kind of deprecated. Yeah. 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 The, the plugin thing was interesting because it was, it's going to be deprecated, but they just accidentally turned it off yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> and then so they, he freaked out a bit. It freaked out. And then like they brought it back up. It's, yeah. Yeah. So, Top features that you're interested in that you want to explore more? I think people are super psyched about the Assistance API. But personally, if you ask me, two things that I am most excited about is Turbo. Yeah. The speed is, is crazy. And have you actually, have you measured, you know, do you know any like rough measured? Because I don't think they actually ever mentioned the speed relative difference. I started noticing the speed difference in ChatGPT actually like a few weeks ago. Oh, I see. Oh, so they already uh, slowly eased this into it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I saw like takes on Twitter that, did anyone notice ChatGPT get much faster? And I noticed it too. Yeah. But, so it's turbo, it was, it was exciting. But the second thing that's exciting is multiple function calling. Yeah. And then the JSON output formatting. I think as developers are building on the dev API. So that's the thing that's super exciting to me. You know, of course, there's vision stuff. There's code interpreter as a tool in the API. Yeah. But I think what will bring the most applications is actually the the speed. Because there are so many things. If, if you look at our numbers on Julius, people are not patient. They want an answer and they want an answer quick. And we see clearly 
if if you can get an answer to them a few seconds faster, there's a clear difference in the conversion. Mm. So speed is going to be. Well, big. What is conversion for you? Is that just paying? Or oh no, it's like from first message to second message. I see. So we we do code gen and then we run the code, and then the code has an output. And the user asks a second message, and we can just see the funnel. Yeah. Where if it's faster, the code runs faster. And the second thing is multiple function calling. I think you're basically telling the AI that. So so I think the people misunderstand function calling. It's essentially two use. And if you can tell the AI, hey, you can give me multiple tools to, tools to use. Yeah. At once. Yeah. I think that's going to unlock different applications than before because before it was just like okay this is the task tell me one tool and what's the input for it yeah um but if the ai can now use multiple tools in parallel you can first of all have more specialized tools and then the ai more specialized instructions for each tool yeah it's just going to unlock a lot of cool applications that previously weren't possible there was a practical limit in the number of tools that you can give it, right? So we had this discussion in March, February, March, April, when they released the function API that this is subject to context uh, window, the JSON schema itself. Yeah. Does that change at all? Or I don't know if you, I, you um, know. I don't. Yeah. But I, what, what I noticed though, before, even before was that more functions and more options just confused it. <clears throat> and that's what I want to play with next is like, okay, where's the breaking point? I see. Like does more options you know, confuse it. Does it make it? Would you would you use multiple function calls as well, or oh, totally, totally. Is that just theoretical? No, no, no. I have a direct application for it right now. One of them is oftentimes GPT writes code, and then we run that code and we realize that oh, from GPT's last knowledge update, that module in Python has changed. It has new functions, new APIs. So today, the way we do it is when the error happens, we tell GPT, okay, you can go look up new documentation and then fix that error. But with multiple function calling, the way we would do it is like, give me the code, but then also give me a documentation lookup. And then when the error happens, I can just quickly fix that without another GPT call. Yeah. And then keep moving. Nice. Nice. But but I mean, in general, it's just like multiple to use to me is just so exciting as a developer. And I wish people were talking more about this. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, people are still coming to terms with just like the base model and prompt engineering and true, all that. That's true. still important, but for engineers, I think you should explore these other advanced features. True. Yeah. 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 Anything on the multimodality side that you're interested in? I mean, vision will be super interesting for sure. And we have this functionality in Julius right now where you can generate React and HTML components. Mm, like V0. Uh, yeah, I think uh, Matt was showing me uh, yeah, a little bit of that demo. Yeah, yeah. We have been hacking on it a lot. But I think the the missing piece here is that, well, you have an engineer who knows how to react and they probably won't find this useful. But if I can allow like anyone on the, in the world to just draw a mock-up on a piece of paper mm. and then run that and have the vision. Yeah. When they demoed. Yeah. Yeah. Turn into like actual components I could use in a, on a web page. That'd be sick. <laughs> and what's, what's even more sick is like have the feedback loop where you take a screenshot of the page generate it, and then feed that screenshot back into Vision and then come up with more instruction and have that loop. Yeah. Wow, like a self-improving web page. Isn't that yeah. crazy? Yeah. I'm, I'm so excited. Yeah, yeah. So in my mind, Julius is very data-focused. I, 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 by the way, I didn't introduce you. I didn't introduce Julius. I was just going to do it separately. Yeah. But people know who you are. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, you have a Wikipedia page. Yeah. Uh, you just passed your one-year anniversary as Rahul Lingma. Thank you. By the way, any any fun things happen on the anniversary? Or what are I the fun things? Ilya said uh, Ilya recognized you on the spot. Oh, Ilya was like, <laughs> "Oh my god, this is oh, you're famous or whatever." And 
no, these guys are so awesome. Like they're so humble. But it happened the first one year anniversary. Nothing really. Like it's. I mean, yeah. you you knew about it a week before. Uh, um, I like I to say, set anniversary dates. That's awesome because it, it reminds people of the passage of time. Like mm. it's like wow, shit. Has that been a year? Like, yeah. And then you're like, I think it motivates it motivates me more than like Memento Mori. Like yeah, it's okay. You know, it's some, sometimes you're you're out of out of date. But it reminds me to spend my years wisely to mm. to do interesting things with the time that I have. Memento Mori is kind of depressing, whereas this yes. is. This is like, oh yeah, did you know that like, one year ago wow, we had this year. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. But then, Julius, you data analysis chat thing. Yeah. Basically, code interpreter plus plus is how I think about it. Exactly. And also, you trust across the hundred thousand users. Yep. You have delivery modes across your your plugin as well as a, a chat box, like a dedicated web app. Yep. Okay. Yep. Anything else that people should know? Well, the origin is you know, writing code is super fundamental to doing things. Yeah. You could. Not only automate a bunch of tasks in your life, but just writing code, but also it's how you how you just like interact with the universe, right? You could you have code that brings you a Waymo car and picks you up and just drops you off somewhere, and I think allowing these language models to write code and do things for you is really powerful. And data analysis is this application that we're most excited about right now because that's what it's good at immediately. But just on Friday, we launched FFmpeg support. And there were people trying to upload videos, turn the videos into GIFs, or like take a YouTube video, turn it into a you know short summary, and all these different cool use cases that we didn't truly like hardcore into Julius. We just told it, hey, here now you can run FFmpeg, and you can run YDDLP and, and MoviePy and all these different things. Do these tasks for me. And then people were just like organically discovering those things. There's this guy TDM on, on, um, on Twitter, CTO Jr. And he took some meme video and put it on my own tweet, overlaid on my own tweet. And then I tweeted that. And then that got a bunch of likes. And I was like, dude, <laughs> like this is the first one that gets a lot of likes on, and you know, FMPEG on Julius. So that's has a lot of meme potential. It's a lot of meme potential, <laughs> but that's not what we're going for. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. just like letting people like do things. Your, your target market is like the SD, the, the enterprise. It's actually uh, individuals who have data okay. on their hand and they just want to drop academics. A lot of academics, yeah. actually. Yeah. A lot of academics, a lot of students, students. Uh, researchers, any kind of CSV Excel data, you can just dump into Julius yeah. and then have it analyzed for you. We have this video coming out in a few days where you can now actually train a nano GPT on Julius, so you can mm. give it. Hey, here's the GitHub repo for Carpe. So you, yeah, it has a. It has you have GPUs to train it on, or you just train it in CPU. CPU, yeah, because nano GPTs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah I mean, Carpathia will like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So the the thing I really want to sort of ask you as a founder on is, yeah. you know, I think there's always this existential threat about OpenAI building your features, right? Yeah. In a way, so like the the number two default. Bought in the in the GPT app store, yeah, is data analysis, yeah, and people can build their own by customizing and adding code interpreter, yeah. Although I think there's also opportunities for you. So on the roadmap that they presented in the closed session, they also said you can bring your own code interpreter, yeah. So like, how are you thinking about that? I mean, as a founder or as founder, as so. Who's the audience? Is it like other founders or is it? Yeah. Okay. Other, other founders and then there's people just interested in how you are, you're going, you're processing this. Yeah. I mean, this is, I think it's a very interesting story of processing this live because the news just dropped yesterday. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Well, so the story behind Julius is that we actually launched Julius three months after Code Interpreter was announced and a few weeks after it was rolled out to everyone else in the world. Yeah. So we, we, we were number two. And even then we got 100,000 users. Hmm. 
because I think there's a lot of work to do to get something to work properly. And there's a bunch of examples of this on the internet. So if I'm talking to founders, what I'll tell them is, man, so many people give up before even getting started. Mm. And that happens. Don't do that. Mm. Sure, you can change your idea. You can find new things to work on. But the way I'm processing is that wait, we were actually, we launched after Code Interpreter came out. And there's 100,000 people who think Julius is better than Code Interpreter. Or use oh, it just code. tried it out. Yeah. 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 I'll try it out and use it over Code Interpreter. And... There's like a lot of work to do. Like, for example, the FFmpeg stuff we launched on Friday mm. or the HTML stuff mm. or, you know, React component stuff, all these different things. To get them to work, it takes some effort. How I'm processing it, I mean, you know, that's like, that's what startups are all about. It's like risk, right? If you if you want to build a risk-free startup, you probably don't want to work on startups. Yeah, just go get a job. Yeah. Just go get a job, exactly. So I'm having so much fun. The way I'm thinking about this is like, whoa, there's all these new different things I could do now. I could build. That's so exciting to me. And I'm, I'm pumped. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That's it. Any uh, last words, call to action? Call to action. Let's go build some cool things and get a bunch of users. <laughs> Let's do it, guys. Let's it. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks, Wix. <laughs> I think that's a meme that we can all get behind. Let's go build things for a bunch of users with AI.